Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. everybody and welcome along to a very special edition of Midweek Motorsport. It's at Series 10 Episode 5, the one where we speak to you in Europe from the future. It is just after 7 o'clock as Graham Goodwin and myself are overlooking the start-finish line for this weekend's Maguire's Liquid Molly 12 Hours of Bathurst and uh, that means we've been up half an hour before we went to bed, it feels like. However... Back up in London, in every sense of the word, is our executive producer, Tim Gray. Good evening to you, Tim. And good morning to you, John and Graham. Yeah, very good, very good. Uh, On our pack programme tonight, we have what? Uh, We have all the usual features, not necessarily in the same order that you'd normally expect. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Mm-hmm. And we're also going to bring back something, because I was thinking this week... What have we not done for a while? So uh, later right. tonight we'll have a something that we haven't done for a while feature. Okay. Uh, in fact, I'd say that's going to be in about twenty to twenty-five minutes. Okay, that's super duper. Um, let's let's get the team in. Um, Graham Goodwin alongside me here. Hello, Graham. Good morning, everybody. It's actually quite nice to say good morning, everybody, from Midweek Motorsport, isn't it? But um, I can't really quite believe what I'm looking at here, John. It's uh, I know we've been here a couple of days, but it's still a bit of a <laughs> a reset button every morning as you arrive here at, uh, at Bathurst and it's watch the traffic. Time, of course, it is, it? yeah, is, is watching the traffic going the wrong way down the main straight. Yeah, that that is odd. That is. Here comes odd. a taxi now, <laughs> and a Ute. <laughs> all very good. All very good. Um, so that's all, all good news. And back up um, next to, well, uh, yeah, actually, as you know, he broadcast from a portaloo next to the uh, the Honda factory at Milton Keynes. Our Formula One correspondent is Nick Damon. Good morning, Nick. Uh, good morning, John. And unlike the uh, Honda, I managed to get out of the garage this morning. Hey! <laughs> Very good. Very good indeed. Uh, we'll have Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com uh, in a wee while as well. Uh, we're going to start off with, however, with a special guest, if uh, you don't mind, Tim. Do you mind that? I don't mind at all. Okay. Um, hopefully, this is going to work because we're stretching all of our technology absolutely uh, as far as we can when I say uh, hello to the race director of IMSA, Bo Barfield. Hello, Bo. Hey, how you doing today? Oh, my goodness, it worked. <laughs> well, it's beautiful. We're talking to you from the future, Bo. Thanks. Uh, we're down in Australia at the moment, as you know, for the Bathurst 12 hours. Thank you very much for giving up some of your time uh, back in the afternoon, I guess it is, where you are at the moment. Um, We've got you one because it's a big talking point. We've had Daytona. Results have been provisional. Um, we've got a couple of uh, we've got a couple of 
issues to talk about. Uh, first, talk us through them from the race director's point of view. Uh, we had Wayne Taylor racing uh, with a, a maximum drive time violation for Jordan, and then we had the Bar 1 PC car with a minimum drive time violation. Let's start with that one first, because that one is pretty cut and dried, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you've always been really supportive of uh, my officiating, and I was thinking you are going to ask me some easy questions. So we start right off the bat with the real difficult <laughs> stuff that we've been working on for the last 10 days since the 24. <laughs> you know me. You know me too. You know me too well. But uh, it, the serious part of that is uh, it, it's a pro-am class, and if the AM drivers don't do the time, I, I think back all the way through my time in the American Le Mans series, um, all the time there's been a, a pro-am category. If the arm hasn't done their time, or ams in this case, it's, uh, it's exclusion from the race. That's, that's never changed, Bo, and that's the way that the regulations have been applied this time around. That, as I say, that's the pretty easy one. Yeah, and that's the way we applied it. And they had some, they had, uh, some compelling uh, stories. It's not like we just kind of step forward and we take action and we don't talk to the competitor. We let them know what was going on and, and what our audit reveal. Uh, revealed post-race and kind of had some discussions with them. And, and uh, it's it's a shame. Um, the rules are there for an important reason, especially, as you mentioned, in the Pro-Am class to ensure that um, um, that, the, uh, that the drivers that essentially tend to be paying the bills have a good opportunity to completely contribute to their cause for the competition. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the it, – it's compelling – that really that those directives started to come more from the competitor side um, of IMSA, and that's what we decided to move forward with. And unfortunately, in this case, it kind of bit them. It caught them out. And as I say, I don't think anybody has an, an issue with that. That's fine. The, the one that is a little more tricky, and, and the, the, there's, a, there's a question to be asked at the end of what I'm about to say, so bear with me, dear listener. Um, Bo and I go back a long way. We know how each other operate. Um, Wayne Taylor racing. Jordan went something over 15 minutes, 16, 17 minutes over his drive time, which was a maximum allowed drive time, four hours in any six. It's still part of the sporting regulations, and it's there clearly for safety reasons. Now, the regulations, Bo, as I see it, as they were written, should have had that car excluded, but you applied the regulations differently um, and there was a regulation change after the race. Talk us, talk us through that process of, of what happened, A, with the, the violation of the regulation concerned, and B, what happened after us. So, as I kind of mentioned on the, on the bar one situation, we're very open uh, to the competitors and their input and their concerns. And, um, you know, we, we've... We tend to, from an officiating standpoint, um, earn rightfully or wrongly... Uh, a reputation for being very uh, draconian, for being very closed. Um, and we, um, frankly, are trying to um, set forward with kind of putting a new tone on things. We want to be more open. We want to be more available. We want to be less draconian. And um, when we saw this situation coming to light at the end of the 24, I started to look at it. Um, from a standpoint of, does this punishment fit the violation? Is it truly what we as IMSA want to be moving forward? And as we started the discussion on that foot, 
many of us who contribute to these decisions all agreed, no, that punishment uh, far outweighs the type of violation that we were looking at here. And uh, we wanted to uh, we wanted to review it. We wanted to reconsider. And, you know, in the context of the situation where you have a competitor um, that has dotted his I's and crossed his T's, as it were, for an entire 24-hour event, to then step forward when they have a legitimate uh, potential race winning, but certainly on the podium type of effort, to then step forward and say, we're going to exclude you from the competition as if you were never here, um, it just it was too harsh in our mind. And um, unfortunately, it's something that we certainly should have caught in our massive review of the rules in the off season. Mm-hmm. but to have that context there looking us in the eye at the end of a 24-hour just wasn't... Uh, it wasn't really feasible, and it looked completely different to us in that context. And that's why we responded the way we did and made a change to it. And the change has now been made and will continue from Sebring onwards. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here, Bo. What would you say if one of the teams who are battling Wayne Taylor Racing throughout the season say, hang on a second, Bo, we played by the rules as they were written, uh, we came whatever position we were, let's say 10th, 11th, whatever. Um, the points differential that we've got between them and 16th isn't fair because we played by the rules and they didn't by the rules that, they, that were written. They should have been excluded and only given one point. How do you answer that criticism or have you already spoken to the other teams? No, I mean, I've certainly, uh, I've certainly started those discussions and they're difficult to have because um, as I try to put myself uh, in the competitor's position, um, it's very difficult. It's very easy to see that standpoint, and very difficult to to respond with anything other than um, you know we've made the decision and uh, and we're moving on from it. And and now we are in a, a situation where everybody knows exactly uh, how they stand moving forward from there. There's, there's the, the the rule change has actually taken place, so we've got to underline that. A couple of people are tweeting through to us now at Specutainment and at Radio Le Mans. Why did the audit take so long um, for for all of this to be to wound, wind out completely, Bo? Well, I think that's a great question, and that's one that we asked ourselves uh, after the event. We've uh, we've put this rule forward, as you can imagine. It's very it's very complicated. Um, it's uh, it's a complex process um, by which we completely audit for the sake of making absolutely official the results and the drive time after any event. Yeah. So with 200-some-odd drivers competing in 53 cars during the 24-hour, it is unfortunately a very time-consuming process to go through all of that and make absolutely certain that we have it correct. Mm -hmm. And so what it's really revealed for us, um, we have great programmers in timing and scoring that have the ability to write software to allow us to monitor certain things in race control real-time and I think ultimately we've concluded that this is one of those, that we'd rather have programs so that we can monitor it real time rather than being passive about it and reacting to it so uh, so uh, late after the fact, after the event, after the competition. Well, I hope that satisfies people. We, we said we would try and, and get you on the show this week before you know we made any major comment on it. And we thank you for your time. I would like to make a couple of other comments. And Johnny Palmer 
who was it was his first time in America, first time at Daytona. So imagine how much he was processing when he was doing the call with us on IMSA Radio. Um, he was very impressed the way that the whole race direction officiating team allowed the incidents out on the track of which there were legion. We expect that in a in a 24-hour race to develop before hitting the button for full course caution. Is that a is that a uh, a deliberate policy that you guys have this year uh, for for the Tudor United Sports Car Championship, Paul? Absolutely it is. I mean, uh, and and for my background coming from a series recently that doesn't even have onboard starters, where you tend to go yellow pretty quickly, mm. it's nice to have uh, equipment out there on track that you know at least has a fighting chance of restarting and continuing. So that gives us a pretty easy ability in race control to take a deep breath before we respond quickly to anything and see how it plays out before we just throw the yellow. Um, you know, another huge complexity that we have um, are our full-course yellow regulations. And to uh, commit to that uh, too quickly um, certainly uh, takes a lot away from the competition. So we do intentionally wait to see what happens before we uh, throw a full-course yellow too quickly. I know that you, the whole of IMSA, and particularly the race direction uh, team, are uh, hypercritical of themselves, and you will have looked back on it. Do you, how do you feel the first race of the season? How do you feel the first race of the season went? It, it, we start the season with effectively the Super Bowl, as far as the FA Cup final, World Cup final, whatever you want to call it, as far as IMSA is concerned. It's big pressure on everybody, including your team. Uh, I know you will have looked at it. What do you feel coming out of it, Paul? I mean, I feel it was a resounding success. I know that people can look at uh, the actions that we've taken after the fact and and question them, and uh, that's fair. I, I'm okay with that. I know that uh, we weigh uh, all of those things out when we deliberate and evaluate situations after. Um, but to me, um, it still comes back to a very important tone that I've wanted to set when I stepped in here um, that we are open. We are constantly evaluating for the sake of it, having logic for the competitors and for the fans um, and, and how we apply our rules and regulation. Um, I set the, that tone in the pre-race and the pre-event meetings at the Roar. I reset that tone um, in the driver's meetings during the 24, and uh, I'm happy with how that tone was set and the behavior and the competition on track. And even some of those questionable decisions, like I said, that people um, can question after the fact, really go along with that tone that we're trying to set in terms of being reasonable and logical with the officiating. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think that's 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 great. I want to take a couple of uh, uh, tweets that's come in. Uh, Amp888 has said, I'm all for proportionate penalties. Exclusions for relatively minor infringements leave a sour taste in the mouths of teams and fans. A light lot of people saying kudos to Bo for coming on and explaining it. Uh, Josh Van Cleep, though, let's go to the other side. He says, uh, I know we all like Bo, but I'm not sure of his uh, uh, explanation. Is he saying we changed the rule because we felt like it? That's not what I heard you say, Bo. That's not what I heard you say, so write a reply on that. No, I mean, there was, uh, um, you know, unfortunately in any rule, fortunately or unfortunately in any rule book, um, there is wiggle room, there is latitude, there is the exercise of discretion. And uh, it wasn't that we felt like it. We dug deep into this. I say we, there's a, there are a team of 
of people above me and people that work with me in race control that evaluated this to the nth degree and uh, knowing that we stepped forward with a decision that could easily be questioned, we still felt very comfortable with uh, um, with what that is. And, again, to keep saying the tone that it sets for uh, the officiating that we've established moving forward. I think, I think what people worry about is that the rule book becomes a set of suggestions rather a rule book. And, and that's not what we're seeing here at all, is it? Um, no, I see how people can easily say that, and I get it, and and that's uh, frankly painful for me because that's not at all the kind of tone that I want to set. Um, right. We we all um, certainly are bound by the rule book for better or worse, um, but this was just one of those outside situations that we wanted to exercise that discretion and latitude. But certainly, does that mean that we're going to step into every event thinking that, oh, we can change it if we need to? Absolutely not, because I get what that ultimately would be for not um, establishing some stability for competitors and fans alike moving forward. There has been a situation back in PC again here where Andrew Norwich, um, some of the teams have questioned that he did the minimum drive time in the class-winning car, although he was given given full points. What's the situation there, Bo? I know that you would have looked at that. Um, actually, um, for that one, I, I, I'm not uh, completely familiar with, uh, with what you're saying. I'd have to dig back into it and get some details to give you a real answer on okay. that. Okay. That, that, I know that one or two of the teams have been uh, making some noise about that. That's, that's absolutely fair. I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to blindside you on that one, Bo. I thought that might have been something that had already come through to you. All right, let's, let's finish off um, and again say thank you very much for your time. Sebring is next. That brings a whole different set of uh, challenges for you guys. 12 hours uh, is almost like 24 hours for cars and, and drivers and for the, the race team as well. It was an untidy race last year, Bo. Is there anything that you guys can do particularly you in person when you're talking to the teams to try and make life uh, a little bit easier for everybody, including yourselves and, of course, the spectators and the, and the teams? Well, um, and I keep coming back to this tone that's set, and, and I put a lot in that. Um, to me, um, in, in motor racing as a whole, there tends to uh, become, through evolution, kind of a culture of entitlement. Uh, of, you know, an expectation that the officiating is there not uh, only to to conduct um, the safe operation of a race, but also to step in and adjudicate situations. And so for me, I've, I've made it very clear in those meetings with that tone that it, I'm trying to transition out of that culture of entitlement into a culture of responsibility. Mm. You are responsible for your actions as a competitor on and off track for that matter. And um, I, I liked what I saw at Daytona. I know it's a completely different beast from, from a Sebring, but uh, I like to think that that, uh, that positive foot that we step forward on into this season will uh, certainly show, uh, show improvement at Sebring this year over last. You've always been a big advocate of talking to the teams, to the stakeholders, to the drivers. The, the other big talking point is the David Enemeyer Hansen um, petition that he started about 
engines off and work in pit lane. Now, I know this has been talked about before. Is that something that you are prepared to revisit? I'm not saying necessarily you may have been swayed one way or the other by David and, and his actions, but if someone was to come to you with genuine concerns, is that something that you and IMSA uh, would look at in terms of the sporting regulations if, if there is a safety issue there? The shame of that entire situation in my mind, and, and this goes back to knowing David uh, as a competitor in his GT3 days, um, having an open open communication where it's not necessary to step forward uh, into the media before you talk to officials uh, with a petition to the competitors before you talk to the officials. And I think that entire situation was handled, frankly, extremely poorly. Um, the The reality is, had David come to me after the race, I would have told him that in the middle of the night, I saw the one car's mm. uh, uh, wheel spinning while it was on the jacks for 55 seconds. It alerted me. It alarmed me to the same extent that it did him. And there was a similar situation with the 25 car at the end of the race where we looked at it and I said, you know what? I don't want to put these guys in dangers. I have my issues with that. We were already visiting that and discussing it for the sake of adjustments and regulation change for Sebring prior to any petition or um, noise in the media ever being made. And I simply could have stated that to him had he come directly to me rather than taking it to the media or to the petition uh, point. And I'm not asking you for at all for a commitment here, but is that still something that you're looking at? And might we hear something before Sebring about that very matter, Bo? I'm I'm positive you'll hear something uh, before Sebring. Uh, you know, solutions for me. Um, well, I mean, I don't want to get into it technically because I don't want to be held to it because there there's a lot of solutions, and yes. and I have two simple ones that I think will. Uh, give drivers more time to make absolutely certain they're tight and secure in the car and keep the mechanics safe that are changing tires. And and those are those are both very important to me. Bo, I can't thank you enough. Um, it was great to have you on Midweek Motorsport on IMSA Radio when we were at Daytona. It's great to be able to get you, even though we're at the other side of the world. Um, it's a fantastic opportunity and the, the era of transparency that you talked about a couple of weeks ago continues and we thank you for that and so do the fans. Um, I'm sure there'll be some people who still didn't like your answers but thank you for coming on and explaining the thought process behind it and I dare say this won't be the last time we speak and let's let's talk about the positives as well. Well done again to, to, to you and all the team for Daytona. It was, uh, it was noted by I think a lot of people. Bo Barfield, race director of IMSA. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So there we go then. Bo Barfield uh, joining us live here on Midweek Motorsports. Uh, Marshall Pruitt is uh, the man from uh, Racer Magazine, DailySportsCar.com's editor. Uh, Graham Goodwin is alongside me. Let's bring Marshall in first. I, I, I'm honest. I, I, I don't think that will satisfy everybody. But first of all, he made himself available at relatively short notice. He's come on the phone there to talk to us and he's explained the process. Um, it may not be the, the right answers as far as everyone's concerned, and I'm not going to take a stance on that, Marshall, but the procedure's been explained. As I've said many times here, Hindy, sports car racing is a, uh, a litigious-minded 
uh, faction of motor racing where it is absolutely rules-driven from top to bottom. Compare that to NASCAR where I'm not even sure if they have a rule book. They just go out and race and go round and round and people love it. Uh, sports car, on the other hand, uh, 19,000 pages of rules and subsets and otherwise. And as a result, and this isn't, you know, this isn't a judgment. This is just you would expect it in a form of racing that is so heavily driven by the rules you would expect the competitors the fans the drivers to buy into that so okay if that's how you do this then we are going to place an equal value on those rules understanding them all and in turn hold you to them well what we're seeing here is effectively a sea change we have the old uh race director race management style uh that was paul uh, under Paul Walter, who is still part of that team, actually, right now, just not the top. Yes. You have you have Bo coming in, who, when he came to IndyCar, uh, ruffled some feathers because he was definitely more of a shoot-from-the-hip kind of guy. And not shoot-from-the-hip in an irresponsible way, but, uh, again, maybe not someone that is a 1,000% concerned about did you meet every single letter of every single law and what you did, but what's right, what feels right, what feels fair. And that sensibility, which I personally lean towards, uh, I think that's going to take a while for folks to adjust uh, to in sports cars. So I think, frankly, from a lot of the uproar and whatnot that has gone on, I think we're just seeing folks going, hey, wait a minute. I thought the rules were kind of, you know, that's our Bible. And why are you going outside the hymn book to uh, to run these races? I thought it was interesting what he said about the the pit stop uh, the pit stop situation. Josh Van Cleef, Cleef, who was the guy who tweeted it and said, you know, you can't just change the rules like that, has made a very good point here. He says, in the case of the pit stop, it seems like IMSA possibly had uh, ignored the calls for that last year and now Bo is stuck with that culture that he's inherited and, and dealing with it in the way he has, Graham Goodwin. And we've had that by no means an absolute undertaking, but I thought a very good answer to... I didn't want to put him on the spot on any of those because it's not fair for me to do that. That's not my job. But I thought he gave a very good answer that they will be looked at and expect to see some change before Sebring. Uh, I think there are two things to say. Number one, very positive uh, response to a number of quite difficult questions from Bo, and I think that takes us forward again. And that's part of what we saw, wasn't it, at Daytona, guys? And well, let's hope we see it at Sebring, which, frankly, was even worse than Daytona last year. I think the one area I'd take slight issue with Bo is he was pretty tough, I thought, on David Heinmeier Hansen there. And I, I think we've got growing pains here. What we've got is a different attitude, a different outlook uh, from him to this season. It's fundamentally different at Daytona. And I think uh, Josh is quite right, what we've just seen on, on Twitter from Josh, which is, I think this is just, uh, it's a transitional point here. Did David have confidence that he would be listened to? Maybe he didn't. Yes. Maybe now he will. Yes. And I'd, I'd like to think that from the positivity we've heard from Bo this morning, John, that uh, once the two guys do get their heads together, you're going to get something coming out of this that's positive rather than, you know, uh, daggers drawn. This needs to happen. Uh, it was great to hear Bo directly referring to the two incidents that you and I both uh, observed from the commentary booth overnight, and particularly the, uh, the, the ESM car. I think he said 55 seconds on the jacks with the rear wheels turning. Um, you know, 
I've been very encouraged with what we've seen year on year. Uh, Marshall, I know, and I sat together at both those races and came away from both those races last year pretty angry at what we were seeing. I didn't have that feeling at all after Daytona, and I hope they can attract me back to come to Sebring again. Marshall, uh, we spoke, I think you spoke at some length with David and Amaya Hansen on why he didn't go to IMSA. We, We talked a little bit about that, I think, last week or or the week before, from what you've spoken to him about, do you think that his attitude will change uh, in in terms of, of what he might do in the future uh, if he has such issues? Absolutely. Uh, there's a couple things. When I, I spoke with him, at, yeah, as you said, at length, and my first questions, frankly, were about the method of delivering his point compared to the the points itself insofar that at least for what i've seen and not and admittedly not a lot of this has made it to print but i have seen and know firsthand having seen some of the emails spoken to the team owners drivers etc if there is a mobilized and unified group within imsa maybe it's series wide maybe it's class wide hey the such and such class really wants to change this thing imsa uh there's Ten, there's often been a very positive response. Okay, hey, we'll look at it. We might do it. Uh, you could look at the PC class and some of the changes that took place leading into Daytona. And, uh, you know, it, again, wasn't broadcast publicly, but that was the PC paddock coming together saying, hey, IMSA, so uh, let's make a few changes. And IMSA came back with some of their ideas. Long story short, uh, those things happen. Positive outcome doesn't always work doesn't mean that if you show up to imsa united that they will just do uh, as you wish but that's what i what i brought to david hey at least for how i've seen things work if you go to them quietly behind the scenes and uh, talk to them i, I think you would probably uh, get a lot further in your uh, request for whatever changes and he said well to be honest um I don't really know everybody there. I don't know who all to go to. Plus, I'm not a professional driver. I actually have a job. I have things to do. Uh, and leave it to the guy who you know, has proven his excellence uh, in, in, the, in the digital world to choose an internet-based forum to do it. So I think maybe were this a, another driver, uh, they might have gone private. But uh, I can tell you that it wasn't because, at least from what David told me, it wasn't because he was trying to skirt anything or trying to embarrass him so publicly. It's just to him, that made the most sense and he thought it was the best way frankly to get input outside of that small circle hey who knows who might respond and from that got a lot of great responses uh you're listening to midweek motorsport at series 10 episode 5 john hindoff speaking to you from mount panorama bathurst in new south wales good to have your company this morning graham goodwin has left us for a wee while we'll get him back in the second hour when we look forward to the weekend and our live coverage of this race uh we uh, also have uh uh, Richard Creel, of course, Creelsy will be talking to us, and uh, Gearbox Girl, uh, that is uh, Shea Adam, is with us as well. But let's stay with Marshall for the moment and move on to some single-seater news. Yes. Not sure how much of a surprise this next story was to everybody, Tim, really. Uh, I thought it was quite a surprise, although um, other events happening in Brazil have been cancelled or not scheduled uh, over the last 18 months uh, but uh, the local government in uh, Brasilia uh, have said that uh, IndyCar is not in the interests of society and uh, is a waste of public funds hmm. 
I think you can say that about an awful lot of things. Uh, it means that the first race of the season will be uh, St. Pete's. Pete's, I guess, Marshall, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And I, Tim, I also enjoyed the throngs of people saying, you know, not surprised at all, as if they had any clue as to what was actually going on. The reality is this was a complete surprise, and anybody who says it wasn't a surprise, uh, you know, had no idea what was or was not going on. Uh, the reality is there was, there were the ongoing updates to the track, repaving and whatnot, was going on the very day the announcement came out. So it wasn't as if this had been heading sour for quite some time. Uh, there was... One similarity in that in China, the China race, which was canceled a few years ago, that whole deal was done and signed off with Mayor A, or, or I, I guess it should say Governor A of the region, and uh, Governor B ended up taking power and saying, hey, this isn't mine, I'm not going to go forward with it. That's essentially the same thing that happened here at Brazil, a governmental regime change, and the uh, new incoming party, which had been under a lot of stress to cut costs in any way, shape, or form, did just that. So this wasn't due to a lack of viability of the race. Uh, in terms of sales and such, there was you know, ph- uh, phenomenal sales of both tickets and hospitality suites and otherwise there. So the interest from the locals, people buying the seats and whatnot, uh, that was going in just the absolute right direction. The funds to complete the track overhaul in terms of the, the circuit itself, the layout, the, the track that they would drive on plus the safety standards that uh that track and that land is owned by the uh by the government and uh they essentially shut down the funds to complete it so again whether so if you take indycar out of this quickly you say well so what does that mean for the track in general i don't know because essentially you have a track where a significant portion of it has been repaved but the it's not as if a race could be held tomorrow by any series so the track itself is in limbo. So again, this goes a little bit beyond just IndyCar. And uh, one thing I did learn uh, is IndyCar had approximately 24 hours notice that this that <gasps> this decision had been no. made. Yeah. So when it came out right. officially, yeah, this wasn't uh, something that had been going on behind the scenes, negotiations, and uh, this was truly, uh, they found out about 24 hours before, uh, were working busily to see if they could fix that situation, and uh, the local government said, nope, we're not going to continue funding this track's upgrade, and therefore that, by proxy, shut down the IndyCar race. Will the government uh, and be, frankly, sorry, Marshall, will the government be paying the uh, fine for a breach of contract, though, which is well, that, reported that's to be the, somewhere around 30 million US dollars? At least according to the government, uh, that fine, uh, the lack of action fine, uh, is according to them, contractually obligated to the promoter, not the government. And that would be BAND, B-A-N-D, which was a promoter of the previous uh, race in Brazil a few years ago at the Samba Drome. So I don't I doubt the promoter, which is also a TV network as well, I doubt they're going to be forking out $30 million for that fine. And so, yeah, the one thing that we do know is that the lesson learned from China, which almost, uh, we'll talk about this at a later date, Heidi, but the lack of money coming in from China for that event almost sank IndyCar. Um, mm-hmm. They learned their lesson and got at least paid their promoter fee up front. Uh, for yeah. Brazil. So as a series, they're in good shape. It doesn't mean that some of the drivers and teams that had money uh, co- uh, sponsorship coming in based across 17 races are too happy right now because they only have 16. Yeah. I, I, Nick Damon has just uh, 
fired something. Is this in any way linked to the Petrobras uh, scandal no. that, that's broken? No, not at all. Not at all. Well, okay. Um, is that it for MP then? Um, IndyCar have said they're not going to run another oh. race on that weekend, but they might look at doing something uh, else later in the season to bring it back up to 17. Is that what you've heard, uh, Marshall? Yeah, so they were very specific in the wording of their statement. There will not be a replacement race held on March 6th through 8th, which, uh, frankly, to me is, uh, I don't mind, because that means I'm now open to go to Circuit of the Americas for the World Challenge season opener. Uh, oh, it's yeah. also it's also caused a few other things, Tim, uh, a few adjustments. Uh, one manufacturer that had planned on unveiling its aero kit in about, 12 or 13 days from now uh, got a private note this morning that that has been pushed back because frankly there's no Brazil race, there's no rush to do it now so uh, I think the plan for uh, at least one if not both aero kit manufacturer to reveal their goods sometime in February uh, we're probably going to be pushing back until March Okay. Uh, we'll have some more sports car news and possibly even bring um, Marshall back. We haven't talked Nissan's uh, GT RLM. Nice of them to, to name it after us. I think it's, I think it's very nice. Graham Goodwin uh, will be back with us for that as well. For the moment, uh, from racer.com, Marshall Pro, thanks for joining us on this week's Midweek Motorsport. Cheers, mate. Uh, and you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. We've had a busy first 35, 40 minutes. It's John, Graham, Shea and Krilzy down under at the Maguire's Look with Molly. 12 hours of Bathurst. Hashtag B12, as in 1-2, uh, HR. Okay? Uh, so that is what you're looking at this weekend for your hashtag. Uh, let's move on and get Nick Damon, our Formula One correspondent. More sports car news to come and a full preview of the great race this weekend. Let's say a good evening as it is to him. Uh, to Nick Damon. Hello, first. Nick. Around sorry. the world. Around the clock. Endurance racing direct to you. All the latest so. motorsport news from around the world. Midweek motorsport. Brilliant. Uh, Even played the right one in the end there. Yeah, no, you surprised me as well. (laughs) Don't worry. Uh, Good evening to Nick Damon. Hello again. I couldn't hear that jingle, so it was marvellous. I've no idea. No, it was very good. It was very good indeed. Excellent. Um, It's been a busy week of testing for some people in Formula One this week. Well, it's been a busy week for six of the teams, a day less for one of the teams. And one team kind of turned up a couple of times and then went out the garage and came back. One team's not turned up and isn't turning up. Another team doesn't like they'll get up again. And another team suddenly decides it's going to turn up thanks to Sainsbury's Basics range. Hang on. That's F1 in a nutshell. Uh, that's, that's F1 in a nutshell. Um, it's the machinations away from the track that have been making more of the headlines than what's going on. Can, by can the way, we just, track should po- we start with the 2015 uh, champions, uh, Mercedes? Yes. Um, uh, sandbagging. Definition of sandbagging. Uh, look in the diary and you'll see Mercedes. And in the, uh, in the, in, Presumably in the dictionary rather than the diary. Yes. But, you know, who knows what... The, the modern publishing, who knows? And uh, they they obviously have reliability issues because uh, Nico was only able to do 157 laps on the first day. Well, Lewis stopped on track after the 97th lap, which obviously is a Grand Prix and a half at Jerez, so it's not made. No, they've they've basically they've turned massive amounts of laps, 
who knows how how turned up their engine was who even knows it was 2015 engine but they just effectively churned out lap after lap after lap and never went for a time uh interestingly apparently they weren't the fastest i don't remember this they weren't the fastest person on three out of the four days last year either uh, but this That's year, they right. weren't the fastest of any days. They just did laps after laps after laps after laps after laps. And we've no idea how quick they actually are. My guess is significantly quicker than they've gone. How- I think that's Im- immensely... Uh, all they've done there, effectively, uh, Nick, is to do the mind games and just completely blow everybody else's mind with their relative speed and their complete reliability. That That is remarkable for them to come out the bar. It, it, it is remarkable, but in some ways, it's an evolution of last year's car, so we shouldn't be that surprised at it, should we? Well, Lewis, Lewis can't tell the difference, apparently, between the old car and the new car. It's, uh, it's going to be the same. I wouldn't be at all surprised if they haven't even got the 2015 engine in there, or if it is, it's a version of the, the new engine running very much below par. They'll be running extra weight, and they'll be, they'll be doing the things you can do, which is testing cooling, testing the airflow, making sure everything... Mm. Uh, marries up it's pretty obvious everything works um so they've had a very very solid test I mean, though, though you know you can't deny that ferrari have, have gone really really well as well you know they've, they've done an awful lot of laps they've got the reliability they've also managed to turn a time which is three seconds faster than last year's that again doesn't mean an awful lot match because you've got a whole year's development on cars absolutely brand spanking new but they've certainly moved forward a long way. And, and in their launch, which, of course, also happened after last week's show, they did talk. They, they, they completely identified their problems, which were mostly engine, and they've worked very hard on the um, recovery side of things. So, they, so they, they, they've definitely moved themselves along as well. And an evidence of how well the Ferrari engine has moved along is how Sauber have been able to turn competitive times as well. Now, people are saying they're, they're, they're showing off, but even so, you can't do it if you haven't got the basic, uh, uh, you know, power underneath your, your, your right foot so I think Ferrari's engine has come along a long way but we're only testing who knows Tim I think there was a Freudian slip there when you uh, introduced this part 2015 champions Mercedes-Benz a no, prediction there or that, that's uh, that's uh, was that deliberate no one's going to bet against that are they no even Graham Goodwin who's alongside well, me I know says. we're in the future here but, that, but that's, that's really pushing it <laughs> I, I want to, um, I, yeah, the thing is, you, yeah, I think the, 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 it's very interesting that, uh, that Red Bull went out with their camouflage plate. That was exciting. Apparently, that was to pre- prevent someone from ram raiding and stealing the car. Um, so, yeah, they did I thought it was because they borrowed. I thought it was because they borrowed a, uh, a Porsche LMP1 car. That's the last time it, I saw that. Uh, the interesting thing was, because they've been having trouble getting runs in the Red Bull car. Uh, and Renault said they've, they've got a problem they had a, with their shaft, haven't they? Uh, yes, but they said they had a problem with their their water shaft, which was now oddly. Um, how come is that a Nicky Lauda problem as well? Yes. How come Toro Rosso, with exactly the same engine, were having no problem running laps at all? So either the uh, the two Renaults are of different, a completely different specification, or this particular item has been built specifically to be super super cleverly packaged and is, and is instantly causing problems, like last mm. year's. Yes, basically. But with a different Don't part. <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Lotus did very well bringing their car in second day, getting some laps. Everyone else trundled around. We don't know anything. And everyone's being very, very hard on McLaren because they aren't able to look back a year and look at the test for everyone else last year. And everyone apart from Mercedes last year at this test, on the whole, had a, and the, sorry, the Mercedes runners at this test last year had a nightmare as well. So their relatively awfulness is only the same as everyone else was at their first test last year with these engines. They're very hard to get them to talk together, to get the various recovery systems to talk to the engines, to talk to the electrics. It takes a long time to settle it out. What about Sauber? It's... I mentioned it already. Did you? 
Yes, yes. it did. Yes. Are they as yes, fast as did. they appear to be? They're, f- uh, they're exactly as fast as they appear to be. That's how fast they went. <laughs> but how much fuel did the they have in the car? It means no, in the big scheme of things. No one knows. No one, none of them say, you know, the Ferrari engine is obviously better than last year's, and none of them say these engines try. It'll be worse. So, um, you know, so we don't know anything, and, and we won't know anything, I wouldn't think, unless someone decides to put the absolute wind up somebody at the, uh, at the final test in Barcelona. But it's much more likely, as always, we won't really get a true idea until, until Melbourne. In fact, we probably won't actually get an idea until they get to a proper race circuit two weeks, uh, a week later in uh, where's the second round. I can't remember now. Malaysia. In Malaysia. In Malaysia. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 10, episode uh, 5, the one that's partially from Bathurst. It's quarter to nine back in the UK, quarter to eight in the morning here in Bathurst. Overcast, bit of cloud, might get a bit of rain today. Got a few splashes yesterday, a bit of thunder and lightning. Nick Damon is with uh, uh, our executive producer, Tim Gray, back in the UK, although not together. Graham Goodwin alongside me. We've, you've already missed Bob Barfield, uh, the race director from IMSA talking about Daytona and looking forward to the rest of the season. That will be available on the podcast as quickly as is humanly possible if you didn't. Uh, in fact, actually, Tim is superhuman, so as uh, quickly as superhumanly it will be possible. I was actually yeah. thinking <laughs> during, during that Bob Barfield interview, how many uh, people in motorsport have got the initial BB? You've got mm. Bo Barfield, Brian Barnhart, Brian Barnhart. Uh, yeah. Ben Bowlby, yeah. Brian Bertrand Baguette, Brian Benjamin the cameraman, Brian Benjamin the cameraman, Bob Berridge, Bob Bell, uh, Ben mm. Barker. Any others? Is this is this going to be is this going to be the basis of another Tim Billy Boat? Billy Boat. Billy Boat. Yeah. Very good. Very mm. good. Something with BB guns. Do you think? I don't. I don't. I don't know. We need, um, we need a BB at uh, Radio Le Mans, don't we? Yes, probably. Just keep uh, it. The, the, uh, you're listening to uh, com. It's Midweek Motorsport. Keep the tweet, uh, com- tweets coming in at Team and at Radio Le Mans. Feisty on the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective uh, at, at the forum at RadioLeMond.com as well. Uh, Nick, I want to take you away from what's been happening on the track. And we said it's off-track bits and pieces as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nicky Louder slightly uh, caught out, caught short by the Sky News, if you haven't seen that. Yes. Um, I, I don't understand the thinking behind that at all. I think that was just a bang out of order. So we'll we'll uh, we'll move well, from my memory. There are that. plenty of toilets at Harith, but never mind. Yeah, okay. It is um, a while since you've been there, though, isn't it? Well, it's been, well maybe, maybe, went, maybe they were closed. I went to the last yeah. Grand Prix there. Mm. German Grand Prix in jeopardy, says BCE Bernard Charles. Not happening, says me. Yeah, uh, and this is is uh, he's caused a bit of a storm over this, but. Frankly, I'm sure that the collective have got their international not surprised faces on from what Bernie said this week. Uh, you know, it's this, this this whole situation is that you know, it's the the constant problem in that actually holding a Grand Prix is completely untenable if you don't have financial backing from your, from the government, and if you are running a circuit or you're or you're a race club, um, and you are you know, the, 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 neither the German. Uh, circuits can make it pay which is quite remarkable considering how much success German cars and drivers have had recently and they um, do get big crowds and they, well they don't they don't get big enough crowds anymore this is the point you, you, you had the uh, last year's race at Hockenheim there were you know a lot more people went to about three or four different events uh, sport events in Germany I think one of the DTM race had more the truck race always has more people there it's the point right. is they'll turn up but they won't pay 90, 100, 110 euros for a ticket 
Um, and the other story off track is that Marussia is not dead, barely no. even sleeping. Um, they've gone into what's called a CVA, which is a financial agreement, um, which has to be done with the agreement of their creditors. Now, we'll get our financial mm-hmm. wizard onto this, and she will report back in the next few weeks. Um, it means that they can trouser their, uh, their TV money and the prize money, doesn't it? This is the, this is the key thing. $30 is going to go into uh, somebody's pocket. What's happened, I think, is, is that there's been a... As we all know, and I think after our, our formal review, the finances of, of F1 are very slightly clearer than they were, but still uh, as clear as mud. Um, what's happened is they, they, asked, they finally asked the question, they finally got the answer to, do we get our money for the 2014 season? And the answer is, mm-hmm. if you still exist, yes. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. therefore, it's in there. It's in the, if they Stop the sale. On, Stop the sale now. Stop the sale now. If they carry on still existing, they get the thirty-five million pounds. So that's a good reason to exist. The only problem is you can't run an F one team for thirty-five million pounds, let alone pay off the debts of the F one team. Which, which... Well, thirty-five million pounds, Nick, is more than they have ever raised as an entity. The best they've ever done, I think, is about thirty million quid. And the other problem they've got uh, and they've is spent they... twice as much yeah. as that and more every year. I saw someone say they owe sixty million quid. I thought they had one hundred and twenty. I suppose when numbers get that big, it's not that important. But what is important uh, d- is who's going to... all. Define yeah. Ornick because they, they re-financed um, over yeah. £130 million pounds worth of debt last, sorry, two years ago, um, some of it to Lloyd's TSB. Uh, and, and one of the issues at the end of last year, cast your minds back to your listener, was that there was a £15 million pound loan payment that had to be made that wasn't going to be made. And, you know, the issue with this for me is, I'm sure it's all legal and above board, but I'd want to know if I was one of their creditors, and particularly the small creditors who will get forgotten about, and the staff. It's the big guys, the guys at the top who will have the swim, and, you know, that's people like Ferrari. Wasn't it Ferrari who supplied Ferrari? Ferrari and McLaren are owed, I think, uh, uh, either eight or nine million between them pounds. I'd want to know. I'd want to know where that thirty million is going to go because it is not well, going to get them on the grid for the full season. As and you if said. They, yeah, also if they're going to get on the grid, they're, they're going to need an engine, and that means they're going to have to pay Ferrari because Ferrari are going to give them more. And if they're going to use the two thousand and fourteen car, the only engine they can use is the two thousand and fourteen Ferrari engine. So they are going to be three seconds further back from where they were. So they're not, not only are they going to be last, they're going to be very last by a long distance with no one to race because Caterham aren't going to be there. So what is the point? Oh, oh, no, no, I've seen it. If they're not in the 107%, they won't be allowed to race. That'll keep costs down. Then they can trouser the 30 million and walk away. How many races do they have to do before all bar somebody three. doesn't... Sorry? All bar, all bar three. They can drop three. But but when's the thirty paid? When's the thirty odd million? End of the year before, end of end of the season, I believe. Yeah, this but season. You can bo- but you can borrow against it, can't you? I don't know whether. See, I don't know whether they they qualify it by starting the season this year or qualify it by finishing the season two fifteen. But it's mm-hmm. it's a strange strange situation. They're not viable. We know that nothing that's happened is going to make them viable. Who been. is? Who is going to want to be on the car that is going to be so last? And as you very rightly point out, John, though they'll probably, because of the paucity of cars, they'll probably get force majeure to get back into the races again, uh, even though they're too slow, because it's not, it isn't exactly a traffic issue. And as long as they get drivers who know what they're doing, um, they'll be fine. But they are going to be, you know, as you say, teetering on the 107% every single time. The, the, you know, the cars at the front are going to be two and a half to three seconds faster 
this year, and that car is going to be probably at best as fast as it was at the end of the year, more likely slower. So, you know, is it really, you know, you know, you sit there and you wonder why someone, why, why a driver and the money became from drivers want to put in eight, nine, ten million dollars to troll around at the back because you're not going to impress anybody. You know, you, you, However, going, mm, carry on. you mentioned Sainsbury's basic range, and the reason mm. that you mentioned that is because um, a man, in fact, who at one time was touted as the replacement for Bernie Eccleston, uh, Justin King, Mm -hmm. former chief executive of Sainsbury's supermarkets in the UK. He is a, what we would call, I suppose, a captain of industry. He's been around the block a few times, worth a few bob. Uh, Allegedly, he's going to step in and save the team. Now, I'm being slightly cynical here, but his son, Jordan King, is an up-and-coming racing driver. Well, I think, you know, he, he has got this desire to be involved in F1. And, and, and on the old adage, what's the easiest way to make a small fortune out of F1? Start with a large one. Um, he's a, an ideal candidate, but, you know, he is a businessman. And you kind of think anybody who's a businessman who's run a successful business wouldn't be that interested in the back of the field F1 team as they never make any money and they always go under eventually. Mm. Um, but he has got a son, and his son's just signed up for one of the, into GP2. Um, and, you know, he's not, Jordan King isn't a bad driver. I think he won, the, he won the very truncated and tiny British Formula 3 championship this year. But it's an odd situation, and it, it's, you know, perhaps there's things we don't know, but none of it makes much sense. And I think the key point is, if are they going to pay the people they owe at the moment? Because I can't see anybody lending them any more money or stuff. Yeah, uh, you can probably hear that the garages underneath us are beginning to come to life here at Mount Panorama, where the Maguire's Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 Hours will be live across this network uh, from Friday onwards. We'll have uh, audio coverage of all of the practice sessions, and then we're sound and vision on Saturday and Sunday. Anything else for uh, Nick, Tim? Oh, yes. Oh, good. Excellent. Uh, Jordan King was the 2013 British Formula 3 champion, Sorry, which yeah. was a much more uh, populous series what, seven? Uh, than the seven that ran in 2014 okay. uh, and had more races. Uh, and lastly, he raced in uh, European Formula 3. Uh, the team uh, that he signed for in GP2, in case anyone's interested, is Racing Engineering. Clearly nobody was interested in that. Then. <laughs> Clearly neither you nor Nick were interested in that. Um, okay. Some more GP2 news. Go on. Uh, which is that uh, Arden have signed someone. I'm trying to remember who it is that they signed now. Um, the reason that uh, Racing Engineering Certificate is, is significant is that they were the team that ran the Drivers' Champion in 2013. Right. Um, Fabio Lima, then. Fabio Lima. He's not in Formula 1 either, though. Um, no. Norman Nato has, uh, swi- has uh, switched to Arden, that's right. Did they make a mistake and, and think they're getting a man with two Bs? We've got a man with two Ns. Yes, possibly. Uh, we could have... Uh, you want to know where we're going next? Uh, where we should have gone uh, before we started racing headlong into Formula 1 testing news... Um, oh. We could have done a grid of drivers who have two, or people in motorsport who have uh, initials of two Bs, because we haven't done a grid of things recently. Uh, for no. listeners who don't uh, 
haven't been listening for a very long time. Uh, we've done, and we have been around for over ten hours, but ten, ten, Is it really years? ten, 10 years. hours. <laughs> uh, you've only been up for about one. Um, we have no, actually, nearly three already, frankly. But never mind. Move on. Uh, we've done in the past uh, drivers who are the sons of other drivers. Uh, we've done. We've got drivers who sounded like food. Yes. Uh, drivers who I can't remember them all now, we but I'm test sure. Drivers. Drivers That's right. Sort of yes, a group of the test drivers. Drive and then, but were quite good drivers. Yes. You uh, did what else? Did, did, did we do Pedro Lamy? Because he's a bit of an animal. Yeah. Mm. Um, Mouton dressed as Lamy. That yeah. was still the That's best one favorite. ever. That's Mouton dressed as Lamy was my favourite ever. So we've done racing drivers with fish in their names. Calvin Fish. I, I don't think uh, that was us actually. Angel Fish was my favourite. Yeah. Uh, sushi Stoddart was one of mine. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Tim Mullet. That's uh, sushi. Mean sushi Wolf, you mean? Obviously now Sushi Wolf, yes. <laughs> and Ross Prawn. <laughs> Andrew Cocotti. Very good. Attention That's Haddock, attention good. Haddock. No. Oh, very good. <laughs> so I thought we ought to do drivers whose names sound like tyres. So I'll start Scott you Goodyear. off. Scott Goodyear. Scott Goodyear, yeah. You got one, Graham? Joey Dunlop. Joey Dunlop, yes. Uh, uh, John? The rest of Dunlops. Paula Hancock? Very good. Paula Hancock. Yeah. I had Sam Hancock, yeah, but you could have Paula Hancock. Roger Pirelli. Uh, who's Roger Pirelli? That up. Roger Pirelli? That up. <laughs> uh, so there's be somebody called Avon who's raced. Well, I thought uh, Albert Avon Turman Taxis. Mm. Ah, right. There's probably somebody who's got the name first name Avon, uh, as, you know. Blake Seven. John as Cooper. in uh, the Welsh. John uh, Cooper, absolutely. Yes, or Hayden Cooper. Cooper. Uh, given yeah. that you were at Bathurst? Uh, Barry Remold, he was quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Damien Faulkner? Uh, oh, very good. Ooh. Oh! Uh, what about Cum Hoping Tung? Or Kumo uh, Whitmer? <laughs> Kumo Whitmer, yes. Kumo very Whitmer, good. That's, that's very good. good. Too. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Mike Conway uh, Tenental? No, Conway's a tyre. Mm. Conway's a tyre? Yeah. Conway's a tyre? Yeah. Uh, somebody Bridgestone? Is there a Bridgestone? I'm there? not aware of a Bridgestone or a stone or a bridge. Dean was there a, is there a Firestone? Dean, yes, Dean Bridgestone. Dean Bridgestone, yes. there we go. Is there a Firestone? Dean Firestone, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> mm. There's a Dennis Firestone, says Dex, who's an indie driver. Ooh. There you go. Any relations? Dex tonight. Uh, hello, Declan, by the way. Still snored under with everything. And Literally. snow uh, as well. Takashi Yokohama. Uh, Ooh. Mm, very good. Right, okay, I think we've, we've exhausted that now. Uh, any listeners if who have, have any more, have. Uh, then... Oh, there'll be loads more now. At Radio Le Mans, mm. or Facebook, or the collective uh, on RadioLeMans.com. That is going to um, that is gonna run, I can tell. He's Andre... not a racer, but I've got the, uh, the band who's going to sing the anthem at the Indy 500, and it's uh, Engelhart Humperdinck. Oh. oh, very good. Andre Kumar says Math Pig. Um, Chris Chris Avon rather than Chris Amon. Ah, yes, very yes. good. We quite like that. Uh, very good. All good. A uh, number of people saying Dennis Firestone, including Sean Belby. Uh, Takumo Sato. Very good. Michelin uh, Mouton. Michelin Mouton, yes. <laughs> very good. 
you listen, you're listening to Midway Motorsport. It's almost at nine o'clock back in the UK, eight o'clock in the morning here. The sun has been up for a couple of hours. Don't forget, it's a ten to start, ten to six start here on Sunday morning. That's ten to seven uh, in the UK. So we will have that bit of racing in the dark and then the beautiful sun-up shots that we had uh, last year. And you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. More to come in hour two. Midweek Motorsport. And if you thought that hour was packed with insights and comments, wait till you hear what's next. So we're looking for your suggestions for drivers, riders, or people involved in motorsport who sound like tyres. Ian Semperit says <laughs> says Declan Brennan uh, at Specutainment or at Radio Le Mans. Coming up in hour number two, uh, we'll be looking forward to the weekend as we are already in the future from Europe to the Maguire's Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours this weekend all live here on RadioLeMond.com. We'll also be picking off some more sports car news with Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com uh, and uh, probably get Marshall back as well to talk uh, a little bit about the, uh, the Nissan, uh, the G, uh, the GT RLM that uh, was uh, announced or at least was seen for the first time uh, on the Super Bowl commercial if you haven't heard the Darren Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com Oh, sorry, Tim. I didn't tell you that coming up. My apologies. Uh, so, before we let Nick go, though, anything uh, anything more for Nick? Uh, we'll get Nick back a little bit later on because we have uh, something for him to play. All right. Ah, okay. Uh, okay, bye, Nick, for now. So, would you like us to do? Would you like me to grab some uh, an Australian voice in here, and we can talk a bit about uh, uh, we can talk a bit about the the race at the weekend? Yes, uh, we'll we'll do that uh, in just a moment. Uh, Krilsey standing by uh, outside. I think he is anyway, or has he disappeared off into the distance? Uh, no, he's disappeared. All right. Well, uh, Goodis can sit and do that because uh, he wrote a very good. Uh, I can do a very poor Australian accent. No, I, I, I really, I really kind of hope that you, you don't. Uh, oh, that's crazy there. Is he? He's just in the the far end of the. Uh uh, far end of the room. Uh, let's do another story whilst uh, we wait for Crosby to come down. Uh, Tim, fire uh, something at me. Uh, well, we do have uh, another guest, of course. Uh, who do we have? Oh yes, no, absolutely. Uh, we've got uh, Alessandro Latif on the phone. Do we not? We do. Uh, uh, he's here uh, somewhere near here this weekend. I'm not not sure where he is, but we Nearby. have got him on the phone. Uh, well done for getting him on the phone. Uh, hello to Alex. Alex, how are you? Hello. How are you, John? I'm very well. I'm very well indeed. Let's start off with 2014. Uh, what a <laughs> what a baptism in endurance racing for you. I remember talking to you last January at the Daytona 24 Hours. You were very excited, looking forward to that and Sebring and and Blancpain. Um, how did the season pan out for you? How do you feel it went? Um, no, it was definitely an eye-opener season for me. Uh, you know, I really got introduced to the GT scene quite uh, quite quickly, and uh, I was definitely put in the, the deep end straight away, to be honest. Um, Sebring was, uh, again, uh, it was an unfortunate performance for us. Um, we didn't have the luck on our side, but it was a great race with the Lizards again, and, you know, just to work with the professional team, and then... Uh, then the season started off in Europe uh, in the Blancpain, a uh, very tough championship. Um, we didn't have the we had we had a very up and down year, but uh, I think coming out with the Pro Am title has uh, gave us a bit of a, a, a booster of confidence. So it was uh, it was good in that respect. 
Um, and then obviously I came back to Petit-Lamont for with the Flizzards. Uh, and yeah, it was just, it was a very, uh, it was a very good introducing year to the GT scene. Uh, hopefully we can win more this year. Considering the uh, the look or lack thereof that you had, particularly in Blancpain, the the winning of that Pro-Am Championship must have been a massive a massive boost for you, really, because at times you must have thought what you'd done wrong. I uh, wondered what you'd done wrong. Some of the uh, some of the incidents that you had. Yes, no, it was uh, some of some of our uh, some of the incidents we did have were very just unfortunate but that's the way racing goes sometimes and uh yeah it was for sure it was um, a huge boost at first you know to walk away with that title despite despite the situations we were in sometimes during the year um so in that respect it was very good now looking forward to 2015 seasons uh, already kicked off with uh, dubai and uh, we didn't see you at daytona this year, unfortunately, but you're going to another classic track. You're going to join us down here uh, at Bathurst for the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 Hours. That must be a real excitement for you. No, huge. Um, you know, when the news came of Bathurst, I was like, over the moon because it's definitely for me uh, one of the, one of the top, if not the top, GT races. You know, it's the track's scary and it's fast and traffic management is key and the race is long and it's just it's got a mix of everything that you want and uh yeah it's, it's apparently mount panorama is supposed to be on beautiful so uh you want to really want to experience the the whole bathurst bathurst day there's not much time for you to experience the beauty but you're absolutely right when you uh stand on the top and uh, look over down past the paddock. You can clearly see why it's called Mount Mount Panorama. How did? How what did... I mean, is the beauty actually of for us to, to actually drive the track? <laughs> like, it's just uh, the thrill of uh, the Mount Panorama. You don't even need to see the place, and you just uh, you get you get an experience on how the elevation changes, and it's crazy. It looks crazy. How did that deal come about then? And and tell me a little bit about the team that you're going to be with. Um, it was just uh, at the end of last year. You know, we uh, we got in touch with uh, uh, Troy from Melbourne Performance Centre, and it was actually thanks to a contact uh, we met at the Le Mans 24 Hours uh, because they were there with James Winslow um, to support him, and uh, that's really how we actually met them first. Um, and then discussion started from there, to be honest, uh, to race in the bar first 12 hours. And finally, at the end of, uh, it was early December where this got confirmed. And yeah, it was it was finally put together. And yeah, we were delighted. Bathurst is unique. It is a challenge possibly beyond any other in GT racing Mika Salo told me he thought it was harder than the Nürburgring because the really scary bits of the Nürburgring only come round once every nine minutes where the top of the mountain at Bathurst comes round every two minutes or whatever whatever it is, which I thought was a, an interesting comment. How do you prepare, prepare for that, Alessandro? Have you had any chance to do any sim work? I mean, watching in-car, um, what are you, you doing? Just study, you just study in-car, in-car videos, just as many as you can get your hands on. You just study, study, study. Even like a Formula Three lap gives you a really good idea of lines and and uh, just, just the tricks of the track. 
But uh, to be honest, you kind of just have to brace yourself. Like a huge roller coaster of events there. And uh, yeah, to, to be honest, the the scary part for me will actually be like the first lap, and you're like, "Hang on, where am I?" Um, but after that, I'm quite confident in my racecraft. Uh, you know, with all the traffic management there, apparently that part can also be quite intimidating and challenging. But I'm quite confident in uh, in the fact I'll get used to. to nothing. Pre- I, I'll tell you now. Nothing will prepare you for how narrow it is as soon as you start going up the hill. That, there's not, you will not believe it, even when you drive it on a street car or do your orientation laps with the rest of the rookies on the bus. Nothing can prepare you for how tight it is. Uh, OK, so that's coming up in the, the next few days. What about the rest of the season? Back to Blancpain again? How is your endurance career panning out? Um, so my endurance career actually... Uh kind of diverted into uh, racing in America and um, I've been testing a bit in the, the Pro Master Championship for single seaters um, and to, it looks quite likely that I'm going to sign for uh, a team out in America uh, called uh, World Speed uh, they they race in the Pro Master the Pro Master Championship which is uh, part of the Road to Indy um, ladder and that is the way actually I'm going about next year where uh, we're really hitting the single seater route much harder than the endurance route at the minute because just just a bit of a change of plan to be honest and well you always said you didn't want to give up the, the having a chance at single seaters when we spoke before and frankly no no Getting a bit of downforce experience is never a bad thing. We've seen how many people have come from uh, F3 and even GP2 into LMP2, so it keeps doors open. Um, the the good thing about that, though, surely, is that there is a clearly defined career path on that Mazda Road to Indy, and that's something that you can't always say about racing single-seaters in Europe. There is, yeah, and there's a, there's more, there's a bigger market out there, to be honest, and... Uh... There's uh, just a huge, uh, just bigger exposure, to be honest. And the sport's more loved, I think, over that, in the, in the sense that they they really engage with their fans and uh, they they do a good job of promoting series. Um, and I'm just super excited to get the season started. You know, I tried the car out, and it's just an American version of a, of, of a Formula Three car. Uh, lots of power, you know, a bit of downforce, and go pretty much and uh but you know i'm super excited for the season uh hopefully you know it will come to a, i can sign quite quickly and uh hopefully release something quite soon um but yeah as i said uh, i needed i wanted to keep my single seater options open i'm still young enough and uh yeah, definitely getting back in the single seater is something i'm super excited for although i will miss the gt side of racing as well you know, we talked again. You know, you talked about the reason to go into GT was because of the clearly de- defined career path from GT3 to GTE, possibly through to prototypes. And you talked about how confusing the single seater scene was in in Europe. It, it's no less confusing now. So, has it been a bit of a shock to the system to see something as as clearly defined as the road to Indy? And is that what's piqued your, or one of the reasons that that's piqued your interest back into single seaters? Yeah, no, the road to Indy for sure is a 
one of the most, uh, if not the most, defiant of the motorsport at the minute. Um, and uh, it was it was actually quite a shock uh, if you if you think back to the single seat days in Europe, how there is actually no structure to it, and you know championships keep changing up. German F3 has currently died out, which used to be one of the top series for DTM. Um, so now everyone's getting FIA Formula 3. and mm-hmm. No British F3 either. I mean, who would have thought that? No no British F3 either. And that was a very prestigious championship. And, you know, everything just is going to be changing year by year. And, you know, before GP3 was the big thing, now FIA F3 is the big thing. And it's just amazing to have just that one class in that like um, category of classes in America where there's Pro Master and then you just go straight into Indie Lights and then IndyCar and there's just no other like mm. there's no other way of skipping that ladder in a way and, and no confusion no confusion no, for no you confusion, for your exactly. sponsors or you know let's be honest you've, you you know you've got to raise money to go and do this it, it, it makes life a little bit easier in, in your decision making for sure, for sure, and uh, and also just the, uh, the the prize money there as well. If you win the championship, then it, it, it really uh, they try to help drivers into the next year uh, and moving up a category. And uh, it's it's just you can really put forward that that idea to uh, to market yourself much better. To be like, this is the plan. And that's the only plan there is, actually. So. Mm. Good call. Well, let's let's quickly bring you back to this weekend and uh, to the Liquid Molly Bathurst 12 hours. A big challenge, as we've said. Have you set yourself any goals, or do you just really want to get out there, get some get some miles under the wheels, and and just enjoy the event? To be honest, yeah, um, goals haven't been set yet. Uh, I know Melbourne Performance Centre are a great team, and I've got really good teammates in Warren Last and Greg Crick, so. I'm confident in their ability, and to be honest, I just need to just need to see the track for the first time and actually do one lap, and then, and then I'll be able to call you back, John, and uh, give you uh, an update on the goals. Come back and see us in the studio. Cheers, mate. Have yeah. a good one, and uh, thanks for speaking to us here at Midweek Motorsport. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, that's Alessandro Latif, who's here this weekend. Uh, Krillzy has joined us. Uh, Richard Krill. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> you ready for it? Welcome. Uh, ready, ready, such an open-ended word. Uh, there's many ways to describe my current state of mind. Uh, look, I can't wait. This, this is going to be an amazing weekend, isn't it? Uh, it? It started, I got here Monday night, and already there was a great vibe about the place, mm. and it's just built since as the, the teams have bumped in, and everybody's in the circuit now, everyone's ready to go, scrutineering today, and then we go and uh, play tomorrow. Well, talk about the uh, specifics in a wee moment. Uh, Tyres, drivers that sound like tyres, Matthew Pig, Andrea Kumho, yeah, very good, Casey Bridgestoner uh, from Patrick Poloni, Chris uh, Eamon we've mentioned, Sam Hancock I think we've mentioned as well, uh, Michelin Evans, very good, uh, and uh, Cooper McNeil, which is very good, like that as well, um, what else have we got? John Cooper, we've got that, we've done that one. Uh, I've got another one. Kobayashi, said Dave Carr. Lots of Kumors, I'm surprised. Uh, Andre Gilles and Eduardo Michelin. Uh, sorry, says Right Turn Lover, they are actually real. Uh, commentator Martin Havon, <laughs> which is very good. Uh, I like that a lot. Graham Good, yeah. Yes, British touring car driver in the 80s. Well done. Juan Pablo Montoyo <laughs> might be the winner. 
That's so pretty far good. From, uh, <laughs> That's from speedhillclimb.com. JK Verney, the JKR Italia brand, very good. I've got another one. Go on. Mitchell Lynn St. James. Yes. What about um, this from Joe Taylor? Natasha Gashnanking. Yes. <laughs> Norbert Michelinist. I can't even say that, which is very good. Uh, Patrick Linglong. Uh, and, Catherine, and this from um, Every Mile Race, Catherine Lego. Yes, largest tyre company in the world. In the world. Very good. If you can get better than that, uh, or if you can get any better than that uh, at Specutainment and, uh, uh, and at Radio Le Mans, please, and the drivers. Uh, oh, hang on. Manfred de Steen Winkelhock. Oh, very still, good. Yes. Yeah. Yes, very good. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about um, the. Um, I, I don't think enough emphasis was put on Michelin St James. Yeah, no, I, no, no, I no, no, like Michelin St James. Quite and, like that. And uh, Alan McNichelin uh, has just popped in there from Brian Dawkins. I'm still thinking Juan Pablo Montoya. Toyo is that's, that's, that, that's very very good. Uh, let's let's talk about the weekend uh, that's that's coming up. Uh, and uh, we've got Richard Creel with us here, who'll be doing the call with us at the weekend. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, we've got some video audio on uh, Friday. It is a slightly... We, right, listeners around the world have to understand, slightly earlier start this year, and there's damn good reason for that. There, there is, yeah, live TV around Australia for the first time, the entire race live, and it's a massive, massive thing, especially in the Australian sports market, to have live free-to-air television in a day where so much sport's going to subscription pay TV uh, to have the entire race on live free-to-air TV on Australia's number one commercial network. Uh, Seven Network is outstanding. So we're live from 5.30 local time in the morning. Uh, Race start 5.50 local time in the morning. And we uh, blaze on through to the very end in the lead into the uh, the six o'clock news on seven. So it's going to be a big day. At six o'clock news, we said this last year when we were on SBS. And by mm. the way, thank you to SBS because they blazed the trail to show that there was a national terrestrial audience mm. for this. Um, we said, though, last year that the Sunday news in Australia is the big family sit-down of the yep. week. That's people gather around the tellies, and, and seven is the news that people watch. Yeah, it'll be the highest-rated program of the week, generally, most weeks, and we are the leading to that on Sunday, and just can't emphasise enough the significance for this race in terms of growing it and building it to have that lead-in. However, for people outside of Australia particularly, no change to what you've seen. Nope. It, it will not affect the streaming video and the audio, of course, that we're doing. Correct, basically. And sorry, Australians, when we go to a break here, the international viewers will just plough on right through. Yeah. Which would be great. Yeah, OK. That, that, which, which we're, we're looking for. It's, it's what we've done in the previous mm. years. Uh, and we'll have the supports up on Saturday as well, which was massive last year and the year before. And the supports this year are pretty decent again. Yeah, good fields. We've got 165 cars between the three support categories too. Basically full grids, more than 50 cars in, right. in each of them. There's a mistake though, because I read that there was Formula Fords racing around here. There and are. Clearly that can't happen. No, 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 definitely. Formula Fords. That I think there were 49 at last count. That is bonkers. 49, and they're the... Old gen Formula Fords as well. They're not the the Duratec uh, powered cars. They're the Kent carburetted. Remember those? Yeah, yeah. Powered Formula Fords. So basically, 1996 backwards era Formula Fords. It's almost historic to, racing. I need to buy an engineering company now to do corners to start <laughs> producing corners for those wishbones because they're going to be in demand. By what else have we got? We got some uh, so in, improved improved improve production right back. So they're sort of we saw them. Was that two years ago? Yeah, they were here. So they're sort of quite highly modified road cars and ranging from everything from. Turbocharged, sort of 80s turbo Corollas through to Evo Lancers, 
through to Holden and Ford V8-powered cars. Um, improved production is the term that they're not quite production-based race cars, but they're not fully-blown racing cars. Having said that, they will do sub-2-minute 20 laps around this place, and anything really? that does under 220 here is considered fast. So they're going to be spectacular. I think there's some RX-7s on the grid, some Salikas, a whole bunch of different machinery. They've got a, a bumper field, so they're, that's, they're going to be good fun. The supports are great. The, the, we haven't got the old Holdens this year. No, and I know you're disappointed about that. We moved them to our Easter race meeting I'm we have here at the Motor Festival. I'm sorry. I was very, very tempted to bring some Aussie dollars and throw them at someone to get a drive. It doesn't cost you much to have a run in a, in a queue around here either. <laughs> the funny thing is the last year we've brought these two iconic old Holden brands together because we had the Geminis running in great. the field as well. They're, They're almost great. exactly the same speed. Um, in, in terms of how this race has grown just in the, the few years that we've been here, and Goodwin is still salivating just to the fact that he's sitting overlooking the start-finish straight at, at Mount Panorama. The numbers that we're talking about of people coming here, we've talked about the TV, we've talked about the international audience, which I expect to be huge as, as ever. Um, I think last year we had something like, was it 5 or 8% of the population tuned in in Oz in at one stage on, on SBS? That'll be yeah. bigger this year. Yep. But in terms of people who are coming here, all of a sudden, this has become, in three or four years, this has become a destination event, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. And... You know, the October race here will get forty five, fifty thousand on the Sunday. We won't get near that, but that's not the point, I don't think, of this event. This is an event where people come for the week, they camp, and we've had amazing numbers of, of campers already. They were starting to arrive here on Tuesday to fill the paddock campground behind the, the pit paddock area here. That sold out about two months ago. We've opened two other campgrounds since to accommodate the demand and there's more people planning just to drive up and rock up when they get here Thursday or Friday and put their tent up and they're set for the weekend. I think when we went to GT cars in 2011 for the first time, it was a, a sort of inclement weather over the weekend. It probably hurt the numbers a bit. I think we had about 19,000 attendants over the three days. Last year we had close to 28. So we've all, we're not far away from doubling, doubling it. I, I think we'll go 35 over the three days. And there should be ten or 15,000 here on Sunday, which will be a great sort of family vibe around the place. Talking to if a council person, who's by no means a spokesman, but the, the numbers are, are phenomenal. The campground's opposite. They're keeping... Mm. They've stopped taking in their bookings, in fact, about three or four weeks ago because they want to keep some areas for, for walk-up, effectively. Yeah. But there's even talk about opening Campton up on the top of the, the mountain again. Yeah, not this year, but certainly in the future. It's yeah, have that, to be that's at, the last it? great sort of bastion to do it because those that know Bathurst's history know that the top of the mountain's uh, a fairly wild place for camping. So you sort of that's the last resort when you need to accommodate people is open the top of the mountain. But yeah, the, the reaction's been astonishing this year and, and we've been having uh, inquiries and demands via the website since basically March last year, bearing in mind we raced in February. So yeah. it's just had this amazing 12-month build-up to it, which we've not seen before. It's been helped by other events locally, politically, motorsport-wise, and that's yeah. given it another kick along. But, hey, that's all part and parcel of it. And I come here and see the evidence of more infrastructure investment by Bathurst Council because it is there who own this place. Let's remind ourselves we're sitting in a pit building with blazing fast internet, with all the facilities that we need. That is a council-owned... Your own personal IT guru, we, we Luke, have supplied by the event. <laughs> Thank you, Luke you. Bell, by the way. Um, the, you know, this is a council-owned and run facility. Yeah, it is. And, and local government and even state government understand the significance of this place. And the pit building we're sitting in was co-funded by the Bathurst Regional Council and the New South Wales government. Um, the New South Wales government contributed towards stuff like the resurfacing, 
The Mobile One Mini Moog. Mini Moog. That's yeah. the uh, GT3 Endurance Porsche team. Shea had never seen a Mini Moog before. Really? Yeah. Uh, there was some, some talk of them getting remanufactured in the UK. There's a uh, lot of them in Australia, fences. aren't there, John? There are quite yeah, a few yeah. of them. I remember yeah. when I was there um, a few years ago uh, with uh, Johnny Palmer, we saw two within the space of five minutes uh, in Noosa. Uh, th- Great place for them in Noosa, though. <laughs> no doors, no roof, don't worry about it, yep. but the climate up there is uh, perfect for that. Alan Jones, uh, presumably not that one, has said, what about Maxis Pappis for our tyre people? Yeah, that's uh, quite good. That's very good. That's quite good. We like that one. Um, Green Max Chilton, very good. Very good. Keep those coming. We like them. We've got Krillzy with us. Richard Krill is uh, with us in the booth here where we'll be calling the race from... Uh, uh, Bathurst on Sunday, plenty going on before then, including the supporters we've mentioned live on Radio Le Mans, Sound and Vision on Saturday and Sunday, both on the uh, event website, where you'll also find the links to the new and improved timing and scoring this year, uh, and also all the other information that you need. Let, let, let's talk about the entry. Yep. We've got we got to, because every year we we say that we've got a, an international entry. We have a, the most international entry that we've had here. And in terms of GT3s, getting on for 30, 3-0 GT3 cars. Now, I'm not knocking here, but let's put this into perspective. For the Bathurst 1000, the great race of Australia, I think there was 24, 25, 26. 26, 26 V8 there. Now, I know that that's a full season, and, but that is sadly a shadow of its former self. Great, still great racing and fabulous racing this year. 30 GT3 cars that are going to be two seconds, two and a half seconds quicker. Oh, if not more. Yeah, yeah. V8 are doing sixes around here. Uh, And high fives will be doing mid to low 203s, I think. Especially in qualifying and and in that uh, 20-minute shootout session for the Class A cars on Saturday afternoon, they get given an extra set of brand new tyres for that outside of their allocation for the weekend, basically just to go... Right, send it, see how fast you can go. There's so much emphasis placed on pole position at this place. It's created its own folklore thanks to the top 10 shootout Mm -hmm. that first happened back in the 70s. And it's just created this fantastic folklore around a one lap of this fantastic 6.2k racetrack. And we've enhanced that, I think, with the 12-hour, especially last year when we inaugurated the AL, the Alan Simonson Pole Trophy, which is back this year. It will now be a perpetual award. And the, you saw the emotions 12 months ago of the, the reaction from the Erebus team, Maro Engel and the crew that, um, that won that in that thrilling shootout. They just bumped Mikasalo and the Ferrari off in the, the closing two or three minutes. We had compelling vision of the second Erebus car with Will Davison driving, oh, ragging it to try and get further up the grid. Qualifying means a lot here, even if it doesn't mean much in the context of a 12-hour race, that first on Saturday is a massive thing at Mount Panorama in any category. So it's great. This, I think this, looking at this entry list, this is the deepest field ever assembled for an endurance race here. And isn't it interesting as well that we've got, potentially in his last race, David Brabham choosing to come here. Now, is, that, we, is, that, is it definitely his last one? I, I, I don't think it is because well, he, he, I've had a press release this week uh, yeah. which commits him to racing in June. Where at in June? Uh, Stony Park. Uh, professional race. Professional though. race. That would be big, given the history of the Brabham surname and Mount Panorama especially, and all throughout us uh, as well. We've just been joined by another special guest in the... Uh, the, the Alan Simonson Paul Trophy. Trophy. 
That is a handsome. That is a handsome piece of silverware, and the closest that I'm ever going to get to a pole position of anything, any time ever. So I'm going to put my hand on that. Um, Brabs is here, and obviously the Bentleys are here as well in force with not only the uh, not only the two Team M Sport cars. Um, but we've we've got a third one uh, here as as well. The uh, further down the the field, Flying Bay Racing, the Flying Bay Racing. Thank yeah. you. Uh, and well, first of all, it, that's big news. The fact that they're here, and that's yeah. not that's not to be disrespectful no, to any I, of the regulars. The, I, I, the, is that the, an indication though yeah, of just is. how this race has come? Yeah, along? it is. The manufacturer input is is significant for anything in Australia especially, which is such a small market. And you're talking Bentleys in Australia, and I don't know the actual figure, but if they sold more than 50 cars a year here, I would be very, very surprised. It's probably half that. So for them to... Um, you know the figures, GG? 42 in Sydney last year. 42 in Sydney. Rich part of the world, expensive to live, no worries. Uh, so, look, it's remarkable that they've seen the value of this race to come and throw a factory team at it and to have M Sport back in Australia bear in mind we're aware of them here because are. of the World Rally Championship yeah. over the years in Perth and, and recently in New South Wales up on the Sunshine Coast so it's amazing to have them here and the fact that there's a private one now with the Flying Bee Racing Team and that's the car that David Brabham will drive with John Bow. thank you very much not a bad combination what how many times have you won here? JB two, two 1,000 wins and two 12-hour uh, wins, 12 hour wins yeah. 23 Bathurst 1,000 starts Amazing record. Uh, he, he needs to get used to the Bentley, obviously, as does Peter Edwards. Bra- Brabs, uh, you know, he, he drives everything. But that is a genuine contender for the win, even in the... Although it's, a, it's in the, the AM category. There's a mm. Pro-AM and an AM category with a GT3s. But that is amazing uh, to, to have those, those guys here. But the, the problem that I have is you look down uh, some of these... And, and you... You can't put, right, okay, there's going to be some favourites. And clearly, Erebus haven't got exactly who they want here, but Jacques Lebrock, uh, Richard Muscat, and Dean Cantor in one of the cars. You can't over, overlook that. Uh, Nathan Morecambe, um, Austin Sindrick, young Austin Sindrick, and Simon Hodge, who holds the outright He's lap the fastest record here ever in man around. We Mount interviewed Panorama. him, he's a lovely guy. He's yeah. one of the CAMS uh, graduates, mm. uh, academy guys. And. Um, you can see a lot about uh, the motor racing organisations. Well, clearly, however they picked that guy, they did a good job. Yeah. He was talking to us about being flat all the way from the cutting all the way across the Correct. top of the mountain. I was there when he did that. I called it. Uh, 202.6 is the outright lap. It's on YouTube. We'll post a link to it on the 12-hour site later on today. Amazing lap. Uh, I'll go close to that in GT cars, I think, this weekend. For, for the international audience that might not be familiar with the Erebus drivers, don't worry about that team. They're still going to be near the front. Richard Musket's one of the rising stars. The team knows how to win. Exactly right. And the SLS is suited to this place as well. Mm. Richard Musket's one of the rising stars of GT racing. Aussie GT champion last year in a strong field. The year before that, he won in GT3 Cup. Porsche won make racing in his racing career cup in Australia this year. Jack LeBrock has raced that car for two seasons now and won plenty of Aussie GT races. And Dean Canto has been on the podium here in the Bathurst 1000 in October. He's a super driver. He's one of the go-to enduro co-drivers in the V8 game. So he's going to be good fun to watch. But I, I like the second car too with the youngsters. Nathan Morecambe, who's been racing in Germany for the most part in a BMW. Um, Simon Hodge, we know, hasn't got much GT experience. Didn't get many laps in Dubai, unfortunately, for him. No, he's supposed um, to be in the STP... Uh, Porsche wasn't correct. even got nailed uh, by the team Ferrari. Yeah, 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 so didn't get laps. Um, and Austin Sindrick, I met him yesterday. What an outstanding young man he is. 
I think he needs to prove himself in the car. I agree. No doubt. Um, but he's very good out of the car. I've seen some of the stuff he's done. Uh, it's a big opportunity for him. Yeah, here. of course. Huge. Sort of Tim Sindrick of, of Penske fame, of course. Um, but he, he, there's some debate about whether he deserves, in inverted commas, the drive. Does anybody ever deserve a drive and how do you define that? I think he's got to prove himself. But if he does... This could be the start of something very big for him. Yeah, I agree. And, and he's, he's come here with open eyes. He knows what he's getting into. But I think the most thing, uh, the, the thing that I noticed after talking to him for half an hour last night was the respect he's got for this place already. Yeah. And that for me is number one because we've seen so many drivers come here and go, oh, it's just another racetrack, no problems. And they end up parked against the concrete at Reed Park and they go no further. Yeah. So I like the fact he's got respect and he's, he's, for a 16-year-old, he's just got this approach to build into it, which is very, very grown up. Greg Crick's back. Yeah, what a story. What a story. I, I, I hope everyone knows what he went through after that heroic drive. But to recap, we saw him in this race last year. It was the Launceston car dealer versus Mikasalo, the Ferrari Formula 1 driver. And boy, did he put up an amazing battle for so long. But he basically rung himself out in that stint. He had uh, massive carbon monoxide poisoning fumes yep. inside the car, but also chronic heat poisoning basically poisoned his body and cooked his organs inside a week after the event he was in hospital he spent a long time there and he spent six months on full-on recovery in a hyperbaric chamber all kinds of massive um, procedures to try and get his body right remarkable achievement he got back in his 1973 chrysler charger touring car masters historic touring car midway through last year came back here in october in the support races won the round, and I've never heard this place cheer louder, and now he's back in a very, very, very strong Audi uh, for the 12-hour this year. I'm so pleased he's back, yeah. Who we had on the phone earlier on, um, he knows the Audi, doesn't know here. Warren Luff, well, you know, what do you say about Luff? Speaks for himself, and he's been here in Audis every year since 2011 when it went GT. Here's another set of guys I think we've got to look at. VIP Pet Foods, back with them, McLaren, Clark Quinn and Tony Quinn in the MP4 12C that was such a, a quick car last year. Noandra Kakodi this year put Kevin Estrier, who yeah. just happens to be the fastest man ever around the Nordschleifer and, and the Grand Prix circuit. So and it's had over eight minutes for them combined. If you and had, I saw him do that in a McLaren. If you had to pick someone to replace Shane Van Gisberg, they've yeah. done okay, yeah. haven't they? McLaren's come to the party. That, that's an interesting team because Tony and Clark are likely to fly under the radar. Clark Quinn is very handy here. He was good very last year. Un, yeah, very underrated as a driver. And I think Tony will go okay if they can sort of maximise Tony's time in the car and make sure they stay on the lead lap, put Kevin Esther in for the final stint. That, they're, they're in this. Remember, that's the fastest ever GT car around here. Lap record holders from last year in that ridiculous battle, Van Gisbergen. Remember the, the battle with Bern Schneider? Yeah. Four hours into a 12-hour race. That was remarkable stuff. I um, want to mention... Uh, j- just one more and we could mention it, many of them and, and in fact actually I'll just go through a couple of Phoenix Racing with Stefan Ortelli ex-Lamont winner Christopher Haaser Felix Baumgartner what a ridiculous lineup they've got Felix has raced at the, the Nürburgring he knows his way around there Marcus Winkelhock by the way with Lauren Vantour and uh, Marco Bapelli in the other Phoenix Racing car is it finally Clearwater Racing's year this year Mock Wengsung Tony Villander and Matt Griffin back they haven't had the best of luck here. No. They've often had a car that was there or thereabouts. They're in the top class this year. Can they finally turn it to their advantage? Well, it's their best opportunity, I think. Uh, that's a team that's got an enormous fan base in Australia now, based on what they've done here. They were the first, outside of the Germans and Audi, they were the first international team to go, yep, we're coming, we back this event, we like it. And 
Aussies immediately embraced that when something new is supported by the internationals. And uh, that, that was fantastic. But I think two years ago, Matt Griffin in that car, broken front splitter, um, desperately fighting to keep that car on the lead lap. It was one of the most remarkable stints I've ever seen at this place. And Craig Baird did remarkable things in that car as well. Bairdo's moved on. He's in the M Motorsport Lambo with Stephen Richards, three-time Bathurst 1000 winner. Thank you very much. Another great team. Uh, and Tony Verlander. Well, his surname speaks for itself and what yeah. he's achieved. I, I, they're good. They could be a Current chance. FIA world champion, yeah. of course. Yeah, which is amazing to have him in the field. Um, 11, I think, uh, cup cars, Porsche cup cars. Yeah. Um, raging from class. 19... Uh, from 2007 uh, up to, uh, a two, well, I think, 112 car. Yes, 112 yep. car. They could be, because they go a bit longer on fuel, I wouldn't be surprised to see them to the sharp end of the field early on. Um, we've got to mention, though, the big story in the other classes. We've got the two invitational classes as well. Three GT4 cars. I always think we should have more GT4 cars. Yeah, I agree. Here, um, a G55 round here, uh, Lawrence Tomlinson, would be absolutely fine. Oh, oh, yes, I would. Yes, I would drive it if you asked. Um, the Class I invitational non-production. We've got a couple of, all, uh, of RX-8s, which are, back, which are brilliant. The Grand Am R- ex-Grand Am RX-8s. We've got the Mark Ford Focus GTCs, except one of them isn't now. It's because a Because proving the concept of how quickly they can turn these cars mm. around. All three of them raced in Dubai yep. as, as Focus GTCs. We've now got a Mazda 3 G, uh, a V8 with actually a decent set of, of car, uh, drivers driving them. Keith Kasulka, uh, Jake Camilleri, and Ivo Brukas, of course, mm. from Creventic. Yep. Um, that's proven the concept for them. They were fan favourites here last year with the, with the Ford. And well, Mazda's got a big, big reputation around it. Yeah, it does. Well, they won a couple of 12 hours with the RX-7 back in the production car days. It's a in RX-3. Yeah. In the, in the, yeah, you uh, saw the that when car. you came in this morning. Oh, yeah, that's, that's an improved production car. Yeah, yeah, That'll I know. be racing. The dark that, red that, one, lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be amazing. That'll have a triple rotor. This, Similar this, to the this Grand Mark, cars, This Mark Cars Australia thing. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to dwell we haven't got a huge amount of time left but I don't want to dwell on the, the, the V8 thing because that's been done to death but the future of V8 hangs in the balance at the moment for so many different reasons we don't know what the, the future car of V8 will look like no four-door V8's been produced in Australia for the foreseeable future is that a potential if not that exact car that concept of car yeah. is, is that tube frame um, easy to you know, any manufacturer could come in and throw a set of panels on that and make it work. Yeah, they're sort of already there because the V8s are a common chassis which people can put their own engine into. Having said that, they, they announced late last year their 2017 rules, which open up more. They're allowing two-door coupes into the category. That's massive, isn't it? They're allowing turbo four-cylinder V6 NA or turbo if you want. Or you can still run the current V8. So they're opening up the shop floor a bit to make it a bit more... a nightmare there. Uh-huh, correct. Uh, they're confident they can do it. That's fine. Good luck to them. Um, Pitching but... Scott Elkins. Scott Elkins, can you pop down to yeah, Australia? Yeah, can we borrow you? Um, <laughs> on that, though, Nissan, who are involved, and had to do a huge amount of work to adapt the ex-Nissan Patrol V8 to go into the Nissan Altimus they're racing. They could theoretically run an Aussie-built GTR with the GTR's V6 out of the GT3 car. Mm-hmm. BOP'd up to what will be supercar specs and run it. So they've still gone down their own road with their own regs. The Mark cars, I think, are a a sort of a a different sort of option and a different sort of car that could run in different series. And they've been eligible now for Australian circuit racing and they'll be competing in a couple of national categories this year. So um, I like like them as an enduro car, though. I I don't think I'd want to see them as the premier category. I, I like to see them as... 
Australia's sort of offering to the world of endurance racing and something that people can buy these amazingly reliable, tough, durable cars, put their own body shell on, be it sold in Australia or not, and go and race them. But it's great that they've been so well-developed here in Australia and using local companies and businesses to build these cars. I'm not going to ask you to pick a winner because it's not fair. It's impossible. Absolutely impossible. Can you? No. No. No, no. Can, stick can, a pin in it. I mean, you stick a pin yeah. in it and you could, yeah. st- you, 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 could, you could still be wrong. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah. There's, so, there's so much going on. Crazy, thanks for being with us. Pleasure. Of, he's doing his usual hard work here as, uh, as running the, the PR side of things as well, but he will be joining us uh, extensively on Saturday and all through the race on Sunday. We've managed to, uh, to find the crowbar to get him out of his seat at the back of the... <laughs> oh, the, the, the Don't Richard Krill, thank you very much indeed for joining us. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's 20 minutes to 10 in the UK, 22 9 in the morning here on Thursday here at the Liquid Molly Bathurst, 12 hours for 2015. Graham Goodwood is going to rejoin us uh, in a moment and we'll try and get Marshall Pruitt back as well as we move into the last 20 minutes of the show. Um, tomorrow... Early hours of tomorrow for us, afternoon for the for me. audience in Europe, for you, yes. And for Nick Damon, who is still with us. Is he? Hello, Nick. Oh, Hello. Nick. How are you? Oh, I didn't realise he was still there. sitting there quietly listening. Um, the, you're envious, aren't you? Oh, yes. Yes, okay. The problem is that the, the fire suit that the TV people have bought for the Pitlian Reporter it only fits shit. Well, I could get one leg in it. Snug, I think, for you. Um, we, we are expecting the announcement yep. um, from FIA well, three announcements. It has now become a, an annual event, hasn't it, where the ELMS, the FIA WEC and the Le Mans entries. I think it's a great idea. And it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a big production. Uh, this year they've got the Nissan in the room. Yep. Uh, we know that. We've seen the tweets about it. We'll talk about the Nissan with MP in, in a few moments' time. Um, what... what uh, my antenna have been wavering a lot this week because we've always looked at the FIWEC as having 32 uh, full season entries. Let's, let's make it clear, John. We've not looked at it that way. We've been told that yeah. that is the maximum. And However, there's a good reason because of transport Well, issue. logistics. I mean, you know, we've asked time and time again whether or not this revolves at least in part around the availability of, full, of uh, entries for the Le Mans 24 hours. But repeatedly we're sure that's not the case. There is a difference this year, and I think the difference this year is this. I mean, I've written a couple of bits on DSC uh, working the numbers. I'll be blunt, I can't make these numbers work out. And what do I mean by that is I can't get to the stage where we've got 32 without losing some very significant cars indeed. Uh, what do I mean by that? I mean factory back cars. I mean cars that certainly the WEC would like to have. So what do I think we're going to see... Um, tonight, tomorrow, uh, talk, talk about it whichever way you like. Uh, I think we're either going to see some upsets, and I mean some big upsets, yeah. or I think we're going to see a change of mind. And well, uh, There may be more than 32 well, cars. I'll tell you, here's something for me. Yeah. Right, here's, here's what I think. And th- this is purely based on speculation. I think that at most races this year, we will have 38 cars in WEC. Now, I'm going to say straight away, I don't think it will be the same no, I agree. 38 cars at every single round. I think probably 33, possibly even as many as 34 will be the same, and we'll get some 
additional entries, wild cards, local entries, like we see at Spa before Le Mans at, at other times. But I think this year, the people who've been shouting about we need more cars, we need more cars, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Well, let's, let's think about what we will find out. Uh, we'll certainly find out about numbers of the WEC and how that grid is going to look, the full Le Mans 24 hours grid. We will find out the identity of at least two more Nissan drivers. Yes. Because we have to, because every Le Mans car and every WEC car has to have a single driver listed against it. So we'll certainly find out about two more Nissan LMP1 drivers. There will other, be other drivers that we'll find out too. I know already that we'll be hearing a lot more detail about some of the full season WEC entries. I'll say this much to listeners, because I know there's a huge fan base of sports car racing listens into between most sport. Do not miss this one. Do not miss it. This is going to be... I think one for the ages. This is going to be a very exciting year indeed. I am buzzing for what we've got coming in 2015. Are we going to get up at one o'clock in the morning for it? I'm, I'm, you know what? If you don't, I down my will. Because, right. I mean, it's, okay. it's, you know, the, I know it's, it's, a, it's a terrifically tough weekend here simply because we're still kind of recovering and back onto normal time here. But I don't think, short of the other story that I know we're going to talk to Marsh about in a moment, mm. um, the, the Nissan P1, which, by the way, gave DSC its biggest ever single-day readership. Uh, and bearing in mind, we've been going now for, what, 15 years. Um, that, aside from that, I think this is potentially the biggest announcement of the year. Not just because of the depth, but I think the significance of the, the numbers that we might be talking about here. Uh, we'll come back to Nissan in a little while, but let's get back up to London and to Tim. Nick Damon is with us as well. Uh, you said... Nick was going to rejoin us and play something. That means one of your fiendish games, Tim. It does, but first some news in brief. Okay. Uh, from, uh, obviously, you're one of our favourite events of the year at the moment, but uh, one of our other favourite events comes to the 360 Motor Club. Yes. yes. And they've announced their calendar. Oh. Am I on it? Am I Mr. June? Uh, there is no June at oh. the moment. But... Right. There is an April, two Julys, an August, September, two Octobers. Wow. It's expanded from a six-hour race to a seven-event season. Is there a flagship well done to Claire Smith and th- Yes. Well done to Claire Smith and 360 MRC. The flagship race is the uh, Independence Day, because it's on July the 4th, uh, six hours at Snetterton. Excellent, I'm available for that. Uh, But the season starts at Rockingham on April the 18th. Get in! Circuit you've been to before. That's a three-hour race. Oh, brilliant. For for the endurance racing series. And a three-hour all-comers race as well. Maybe that's where you should have your, your uh, GT4 grudge match. That's that's exactly right. We should have it in the race. So that's so. in the three-hour race. That's April the 18th. What's an all-comers all race? Sorry. Each other's Which, cars unfortunately, for an hour. you won't be going to, John. Because? You're at Long Beach. Ah, okay. Uh, all right. Event three uh, mm-hmm. is back at Rockingham on July the 18th. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one you could go to. Good. Uh, and that is just for the endurance racing series. There's no all-comers race there. Right. August the second, which again, I don't think you've got any clashing event uh, there after Donington Park Seems again. That Claire has looked at my uh, my work schedule this year. Excellent. Uh, Donington Park, uh, two three-hour races there. It's another track I've raced out, of course. That's yes. Good. September thirteenth. Uh, John, John. Yeah, I'm uh, doing. I see that way. August second, you're working for me. All right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> 
September the 13th. Yep. They are on the full Grand Prix circuit at Silverstone. Ooh! Oh, hello, baby. For a two-hour race. And then October the 2nd to the 4th. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not a one-day event. This is a three-day event. But there's no mm-hmm. jumping or dressage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very good. Uh, they're off to Spa-Francorchamps. Sorry, there might be a bit of cross-country there. Yeah, that's true. Um, Where's that at? Spa. Oh. You're at uh, Road Atlanta, though. Oh. Am I? Yeah. Well, I feel ill. I feel a sick note. <laughs> and Claire, how will you do that to me? Go the on. season concludes with the Halloween race. Excellent. Might name me birthday. On the 31st of October, which yep. this year is a Saturday... Yes, it is. Three hours, three, three one-hour races at Mallory Park. Fantastic. Well, if you're thinking of doing that and you need another driver for some of them, I'm, I'm available for some, as you heard Tim say. All right, that's good stuff. Moving on. Uh, moving on to this. 360 MRC, by the way. And now... And now, from Norwich... It's the Quiz of the Week. This week's prizes include this sailing dinghy, which we hope will be to your liking. It's 12 feet long with a fiberglass hull and built-in buoyancy tanks. But now, let's meet the man with the questions of the money. Nicholas Parsons. Nick. Nick Damon. I kind of feel that surely all boats should have built-in buoyancy and not need a built-in buoyancy tank. Yes, that's true. But this it, is it only is 12 foot dinghy. Mm. All right. Well, it is sick uh, battery, do they? Uh, okay. Are we going to call it Dignity? Um, hey. all right, what, have, what are we selling this week, chaps? Uh, Scottish soft rock reference there. Yeah, very good. Uh, starting off with a rally car. Actually, isn't it folk rock rather than soft rock? Possibly. Uh, why, why are we particularly looking at Deal of the Century this week? What, where was the, the, there's a lot of auctions. Um, the first thing we're looking at is a rally car. Okay. It's a yeah. Works 2005 Ford Focus. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it hasn't been uh, auctioned yet, so I'm looking for the estimate price. Is now, it, this particular is it like rolling car, and running with engine? This particular car, yes, um, was driven to victory by Marco Martin in Corsica and Catalonia and had five other top ten finishes in the 2004 season and three in the 2005 season. And where's it been since then? Uh, in the ownership of one Steve Perez. Right. So and are we quoting in dollars, euros, or pounds? You could quote in pounds if you want. Okay. Nick, thirty thousand pounds. Thirty thirty-five thousand pounds. Thirty-five for John Graham. Over forty-five. Forty-five thousand pounds. You'll win it then. I didn't realise you were in it. I'd have gone higher. Go on. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, Graham Goodwin wins. Uh, though the three of you together. 
uh, won't be able to buy this car because uh, it has a guide no. price of between 180 and 200,000 pounds. <gasps> Oh, no. There is actually there's a, there's a current Linga course with Steve Perez because it's Steve's uh, company that's going to be the uh, title sponsor for Ginetta this year. It oh, is. is it? For the Junior yeah. Championship, yeah. And for, for, for surely, not vod- surely not Vodka Kick. There'll be a lot more than Junior Championship. Kick Energy, the energy drink. Energy. Right, OK, carrying on. And of course, uh, Steve's son is racing in the Ginetta Junior Championship. No coincidence <laughs> Moving there. on. Moving uh, on. Next is a 1975 Datsun 260Z... Rally car. Oh. So safari is it, car. Is it a genuine works car? Why ask you rally right. cars? I don't know rally Graham cars. Go first on this one. I'm going to go high on this one. I think this one is about £180,000. We'll right, go Nick next? next. Nick next, £179,000. Uh, and ah. John? Um, I think it's less than that. I think so it might be right. I think £100,000. It's actually probably less than that even, but I'll say hundred grand because I'm going to be the lowest. Estimated at £180,000. Oh! oh! Back of the nets! Oh, <laughs> Darren Cox, it, need, it needs buying immediately. Oh, dear me. Carry on. That's 2 0. Yes. We're not letting him on again. <laughs> a photograph of Monaco taken through the window of a plane by Daniel Ricciardo. Ah, uh, this was part. Of the, there's a whole load of these photographs that were. This is charity is. auction. Drivers. This is a charity. Yeah. Auction, this is a charity auction. Oh, it closes. It, it closes tomorrow, so right. uh, bidding is still open. But I want bid. the current bid price. Uh, it's going to go first. first. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say five grand. Five grand, uh, Graham. I say five and a half. And Nick. Four Which way you half. go, Nick? Higher or lower? Four oh, and a half. Lower. Nick's going to get the points for this because oh, uh, the current bid for a photograph. Taken through an aeroplane window of Monaco by Daniel Ricciardo is just £100. Oh. The thing is, you're never sure with charity auctions, no. are you? Yes. No. Could be someone uh, daft enough to do it. Next, uh, a selfie by Andre Lotterer. It's back to Nick again. Hundred, no, uh, £87.26. Graham? There's going to have to be a, there's going to have to be a, something. I'm going to say three pounds fifty. I'm going to say five hundred <laughs> quid. Graham wins. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No way. Only by a few pence though. Uh, it's four quid. No, I, I think he's only a few Nick. few pence closer to it than Nick. All right. Okay. Uh, a selfie of Nico Hulkenberg is next. And that's my turn first, isn't it? Yes, it, it is. is. Uh, Formula One driver, let's go. £150. Uh, 50 quid. £100. It's £250. What? Yes. Oh, Goodwin is cleaning yes. up on this. He is cleaning Just up. Just imagine me from the other side of the world holding the L. Uh, a photograph. Losers, losers. A photograph, of, uh, a photograph taken by Esteban Gutierrez of his dinner. This is the last was one, it, by the was way. Was it Taco? There's two more. Oh, well, quicker than please. We've got other stuff to get, and it's actually newsworthy. Uh, it was a Mexican meal in a s- restaurant in Switzerland. In which case, I'm going to say seven pounds. Uh, 150 quid. 45p. Uh, Nick is closest. It was 50 pounds. Oh. Next, we have a Nikon Coolpix camera, signed by 1997 Formula One World Champion. Jacques Villeneuve. Well, it's worth less now. 
It's bro- broken Nick. then. Yeah. It keeps running into things. Uh, oh. Nick? Does it, does, it, does it have the less attractive of the two bags with it? It doesn't appear to have any bag with it. Oh, I think okay. you, know, you know where I was going with that I one, did, yes. Anyway, uh, I will go it. with £375. This is a camera that retails for £110. Yeah. Well, all right, I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for 150 quid. I'm going to go for £110. It's currently available for £50. <laughs> oh, yes! God, we need to clean it up on this! A, clean it up on it! A photograph Finally. of a bronze of a deer... In Bernie Eccleston's garden, taken by Bernie Eccleston, who I'll say is not the world's best photographer. Okay. Well, can they take uh, a very low angle, can't they? Uh, they are always good. I'll say 50 quid. It's my turn next. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say it's, um, it's 30 quid, unless it's bought from Germany, in which case it's three and a half million pounds. Yep, good point. <laughs> very good. Uh, very good. All right, I'll but go that, higher, that is just so for I'll the value of the photo, of yeah. course. Sorry, Nick, what did you 51. say? 51. 51. Uh, the actual price is £150. And so Nick gets this point. Bidding is open for all of these uh, photographs and signed cameras. There's uh, photographs taken by 22 Formula 1 drivers, 11 team principals, some famous fans, including Prince Albert of Monaco, uh, some of the biggest names uh, of motor racing legends as well. Uh, what, Dibby Mavropoulos? And uh, the auction... Uh, is open until tomorrow, so you've got about 24 hours left, and you can go to coys-zoom.co.uk. I take it this bid. is charity. It is this for is charity, charity, yes. Yeah, okay, good stuff. Uh, we're going to say goodbye to Nick now, I think. Yes. Bye-bye. Nice. Have a great weekend, you lucky, lucky people. Will you be listening, Nick? Ba- I will be listening. I might, I might try and watch if there's anyone on, on, on any stream anywhere. Yes. Yeah, yeah, radiolamon.com. It'll be yeah. all there. It's all there now. See you back, and, in, have a see look. back the... Good have a look. See you guys. Yes. Uh, see you. Thanks, Nick. Uh, Nick makes way. It's coming up to 10 o'clock. Well, it looks like we're in overtime again tonight because the big story of last weekend, of course, was the fantastic last moment interception. Uh, that Terrible. <laughs> that, Terrible. That, yes, because uh, unfortunately the Seattle Seahawks, who are Tim's team, were beaten by four points in the World Championship handicap. I actually uh, went to final. sleep at... Uh, uh, about halfway through the third quarter, when we were you ten didn't points. Didn't honestly think they were going to win, did you? Well, we were ten points clear, and the Patriots were in complete disarray. It was like a team of four-year-olds running around who'd never watched the game. Mm. Uh, however, um, just before one o'clock in the morning UK time, there was the new Nissan USA ad. Their positioner, uh, the hashtag was what was that for uh, with dad with dad yes thank you and interestingly it is 60 years this year since the cox family darren cox's father first went to Le Monde. wow yes wow. So, um uh, of course it was the first time anybody had seen the nissan gt rlm can i just say that it's it's uh, without a shadow of a doubt the second best 90 second film that was produced by nissan to do with that car yeah because the the one that the hero returns oh. was absolutely splendid if you yeah. haven't seen that Go and have a look at it. Getting on for a million people have downloaded The Hero Returns, and I think 8 million people have downloaded The, the Super Bowl ad itself. Look, we, we, there's, there's always, isn't there, a heady degree of cynicism when we talk about anything to do with marketing and motorsport, but I have to say, Nissan nailed that. The interesting thing about all of that is, is Marshall back with us, by the way, uh, Tim? No, he's not. 
All right, we'll try and get Marshall back from uh, racing because he did so much of the hard oh God, work didn't he? Uh, on this. Uh, he and you were uh, across this for quite some time, but obviously respected the embargo. Uh, and by the way, thanks to Ella at Base Performance for giving Darren and I somewhere quiet to go and do the interview that, that we did, again ahead of time, and kept the secrecy absolutely perfectly. Um, the whole point of this now, and this, if you haven't listened to Darren's interview with us, or you haven't read the Q&A sessions that uh, Racer and DSC have got up, this is about the racing. It's all about the racing, and he's been candid enough to say that if they don't get results, then they don't deserve to continue the programme. Well, I mean, Marshall and I, is, is, you know, there's a piece that Marshall's run on Racer, I think Road and Track and on DSC. We saw the car um, the weekend of Cota. We, mm-hmm. we, we went along to see the car in build, and the pair of us were just there with jaws on the table. You know, it was ridiculous. And we came out of that, 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 um, that meeting uh, and saw the tub and saw the mock-up, and we were just giggling. You know, it was, oh my God, it, it really was a defining moment. Now, look, they've got a huge series of tasks ahead of them right now. Um, but you've got to say it's brave. You've got to say it's spectacular. You've got to say it's exactly what the sport needs right now. It's uh, a manufacturer doing something completely radical. Um, but more than that, that they've got this attitude and this reputation for doing something which perhaps we haven't seen enough of in our part of the sport, which is activation, which means getting people enthused by it. And my God, did they manage to do that? The thing is that there's whatever anybody else thinks, and again, this comes out in all of the interviews, including the, the, the one that DC did for us, and, and it is still available for, for, for download, by the way. In fact, we'll tweet that in a moment, the link to it. The, this was all done for very sound racing reasons the 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 design of the car is radical but that was because as Darren said to me if you do the same thing as Audi Audi have got 10 years and even if you only think it's a couple of hundred or 300,000 pounds uh, euros a year that they're spending that's a lot of money they've got invested in it 300,000 I think it might be a, might be of an M yeah but well, exactly but, but, the, but the reality is he's right what if you go down the same evolutionary uh, path, you're going to get trounced. You're, you're starting at a disadvantage, and that disadvantage isn't going to narrow unless you spend a huge amount of money, which Nissan clearly haven't done. Toyota, I think, and their success helped them. Absolutely. Because they showed that you didn't have to outspend Audi. You, you could do Out-think something them. different. Porsche have done something different again. Yes. Uh, and, you know, the small engine pushed forward in the back of that car is a clue to the thinking behind the Nissan. Pull the weight forward. Use this, the shape of the car as a, a de facto wing, and therefore you can cut down on drag. Marshall Pruitt has, has rejoined us now. Um, crack and work, MP, first of all, for all the, the hard work that you did um, behind the scenes that we couldn't talk about, obviously, until last, last weekend. Um, it's caused a stir, but it's caused a stir, I think, in, in so many good ways, right across the spectrum of, of enthusiasts and, and non-enthusiasts. Isn't that what motor racing is supposed to do, Heidi? Cause a stir love it. Yeah, in love your it. soul, in your whatever, whether you love it or hate it. I mean, uh, there are far too many racing series today that are the equivalent of a movie that you walk out of and go, eh, okay, you know, I spent mm. my money, I saw it, but it didn't 
invoke anything within me either to remember it, to love it, to hate it. What what form of racing and what form of cars tend to stoke the most passion? Well, that it can be anything. Formula One, IndyCar, NASCAR, you name it. But then you have to ask yourself the practical questions. Which series are genuinely doing that? And uh, I would say that when you look at the Nissan, look at the Toyota, the Audi, the Porsche, the uh, R- Rebellion R1, etc., these are cars that I hope would be stoking a lot of passion and then move down into the uh, GTE classes. So just as a series, as I said last year, and I think many people have said, in terms of a golden era, cars we're going to remember for a long time, tell our kids about and grandkids about. We're in the midst of one right now with the WEC, and the Nissan, to me, has really taken that uh, insane freedom of rules uh, thing and just took it to a place that no one expected. That is a very good point, isn't it, Graham? that without the regulations as they stand, this car wouldn't be able to have been built. And, and I said this to Darren, and I believe it, that the original Nissan Delta Wing formed these regulations or helped at least to form the thinking of these regulations in terms of the efficiency side of things, which has given us this variety. For those of you who are playing catch-up, it's a front-engined car, not unique, but no front-engined cars won in my lifetime, although Joe Bradley's old enough to um, uh, know that one has won in his lifetime. However, it's front-wheel drive. The internal combustion engine, at least, drives the front engine, the design of which is long bonnet, short overhang at the back, nothing behind the cab, effectively, of the car. It's aero. It's absolutely driven by aero and weight, this car. I think Marshall's pinned it, and in in part he's pinned it. I think a lot of it is to do with that technical freedom. It is to let the clever guys do what they do best. And there does seem to be a kind of a fear in other parts of the sport that you let the clever part, uh, people do what they do best, that mm-hmm. someone's going to do it better than somebody else, and that because all the money that's now hooked up in that, that, that somehow is going to give you something that's not sustainable. Look back through history. I'm, I, oddly enough, I just saw a picture of myself on Twitter um, with you from yesterday when I was wearing a Chaparral T-shirt. Yes. That's exactly the same thing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. That's clever people finding clever things to do and doing something different. And those cars from the 60s are revered now 50 years on. Yes. And that's exactly what I think Marshall was trying to say. It's another golden era right now because clever people are allowed to do this. Uh, and in terms of the launch, Marshall, um, the Super Bowl, obviously the biggest American TV audience uh, of the year, well over 100 million again tuned in this time around. Uh, Absolute primetime commercial, not just for the car. Let's be honest; it was a it was a positioner for for, for Nissan in the in the United States. Um, what response did it get in terms of the great the greater audience, not just the motorsport audience? Were people surprised to see a racing car, particularly such a off the wall, advanced technology racing car, in an ad in primetime in the Super Bowl? I think for the average person, Heidi, they just saw a racing car. Uh, I don't think yeah. the average person had any clue that they were seeing something new or old. And you know, uh, the fact that there were Daytona prototypes, for example, included mm-hmm. in the filming mm-hmm. to, the, to those of us inside the sport, I think you know, a little part of us died when we saw a uh, you know a DP alongside this this masterful 
free-thinking P1 car, but I think that the average person, they just saw two racing cars. So mm. I, I don't know if the Super Bowl lifted the P1 car or, or really bridged any gaps there, but I do think that it opened the, the pathway for people to see a, a, a heartwarming, syrupy, admittedly syrupy tale about dad and motor racing and you know using motor racing as that hook. But uh, more than beyond that, I think it positioned Nissan in a great place where they made a big, bold, and expensive ad that used racing as the core. Mm-hmm. Big shift, mm-hmm. at least in North America. We, uh, Speaking from here, uh, Nissan is not something that is thought of coast to coast as a uh, motor, motor racing manufacturer with deep roots and steady thought. So I think it was a great kind of stake in the ground. We're using motor racing as a background for something big we're doing in front of a lot of people and then i think nissan's efforts to leverage that uh the the p1 car through their own uh press releases photos and otherwise i think it was done incredibly well the last thing i'll add very quickly is speaking with darren cox last month while it was being filmed said hey why are you doing this you know i i always expected this to be something happening in the uk uh you know uh lots of dry ice and smoke and blinky lights and techno music kind of thing like so many other ones why this and he said they were willing to spend the money and yep. what a great way to put it in front of a much bigger well, audience we could have done so, somebody said this you know oh, they should have spent that on on engineering but I don't think there's any money, any large amount of money, certainly not the $5.5 million per 30 seconds that were being quoted for Super well, Bowl plus the production cost. I don't think any of that came out of the uh, out of the motorsport or this project none. budget because that came none. out of the US, exactly. And in fact, in some ways, it saved the money. I was positing this thought on the collective because they didn't have to do a big glitchy launch for this car, which obviously wouldn't have cost $15 million, but it would have cost something. They, once that stuff was in the can, and I know it was a pain in the what not to to film it and the, it did cost some money to, to hire the circuit out and do what they needed to do which wasn't proper testing it was them running around for for, for directors etc however that was it that's put to bed at that point then you can carry on developing the car the question comes now what comes next a lot of people asking about driver announcements graham you talked about uh, two coming up tomorrow in the early hours where we are and, it, and we understand it'll be drip fed uh, it has. Well, I think it will be. First and foremost, they have to announce another two yep. because they have to announce a driver per car for the Le Mans 24 Hours. So we've already had March and A. So at the very least, we'll hear about another two. But uh, I think we're aware that there is going to be a bit more of a drip drip. Uh, there are going to be a couple of, I think, pretty nice surprises there. Um, there's going to be a couple of perhaps uh, uh, rather more obvious choices that are going to be made. But, you know, they're doing this in the way that Nissan do it. They want to activate this. They want to keep people enthused about this. I've got no problem with that whatsoever. And uh, by the way, if anybody c- thinks they can name all nine Nissan drivers, Darren put this out there at Dubai. Uh, you put it on the collective, start a, start a thread, and if anybody gets all of them right, you will get the best Nissan prize ever. Well, let's put it this way. It's March car, isn't it? Uh, it? It could be. I don't yeah. know what it's going to be. I don't know what March Janay Jr., March Janay Sr., Marjane <laughs> Junior Junior, Fred Janay. Oh, sorry. 
Look, so Mark Genet we know, and I think it, it would be fair to say because we've seen a lot of images of him in the car. Bear in mind, Darren did say initially 10 drivers, including one test and development driver. Yeah. So we know that we've seen pictures in the, the stuff that was released of Jan Mardenborough at Cota and has yeah. been in the car. That's, that's out there. I wouldn't be remotely surprised to see Jan on that list, but that's, that's it. You know, as far as that's concerned, there's nothing else out there, and there's been an awful lot of completely wrong guesses. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, just to finish off with uh, MP, the development continues, even at this stage. That, Darren made that very clear in the interview we played out, which, by the way, we'll play out after this show as well. So stay tuned to RadioLamont.com if you haven't heard it, or even if you have, listen to it again and listen to exactly what he says in answer to the questions. The nuances of what he says and indeed what he doesn't say are absolutely key. Working with partners like Nissan Marshall, uh, with um, Nissan working with partners like Michelin Marshall means that they are getting different sized tyres, they are getting different compounds, higher sidewalls. Darren admitted to me they're still playing with that and they may not be at their most competitive at Silverstone or even at Spa at Le Mans they need to show well and then after that the rest of the season they hopefully will have a car that they can then put a bit of drag on put a bit of downforce on uh, and and go racing with but this is work in progress even at this stage isn't it? Yeah, and that's, again, I'm not speaking for them because I don't work for them nor am I a part of the team, but just from from what I know about the program, where it was at, and and a little bit of a catch-up for where it is today, I think that's a perfect way of putting it, Heidi. Uh, The adventurous, ambitious design that everyone has seen, there's almost nothing off the shelf. There's almost nothing you can say, hi, company, send me this proven thing that I can just bolt onto the car and we'll go win races. There's perfect example was the gearbox, wasn't it? And you reported that the the gearbox, they mocked, effectively not mocked one up, but they rapid prototyped a a gearbox because they didn't get the gearbox casing that they wanted from from the supplier, did they? Yeah, and so without belaboring the point, the the first thing that I saw and that Graham saw when we uh, when we viewed the the 3D model and such back in September, and Graham might remember this, I was just giggling at certain points with Simon Marshall showing us various parts of the car because uh, to to what I was just speaking on, every little thing is a brand new idea or a twist on a concept. It seems like they they held themselves to a pact that said we will use nothing off the shelf nothing that's been done before so when you do that the potential is incredibly high the lead time to get there is also longer than it would be by going more conventional routes so back to the original point Hindy do I expect them to rock up at the first race and just you know run away not a chance I, I don't think they expect that I would absolutely say once we get to Coda once we get called the second half of the season um, yeah. I think that is when we will start seeing the car's full potential but for anyone expecting to see them rolling up and just you know laying waste to everybody at round one they aren't even expecting to do that but wait till the end of the year i think we're going to start to see all these crazy ideas starting to have the time to mature and show on track okay that's uh, marshall pro from racer.com my thanks to him to graham goodwin editor of dailysportscar.com richard krill joined us as well as we are looking forward now and focusing uh, in on the Maguire slip with molly Bathurst 12 hours before that in the early hours of tomorrow morning here in Australia it is that announcement and that will be live on the radio too with some uh, 2pm UK 
2 p.m. UK, that's 1 a.m. here in Australia. Do the other arithmetic yourself and we'll get reaction from Grim. Are you going to be around for that, Tim, or do I do I'm that remotely? I'm here because uh, okay. I'll, do, I'll do some uh, simultaneous translation for you. Oh, no, don't worry. It's all right. I'll, I'll be okay. Um, the <laughs> that's all so. to come. Thank you to Alessandro Latif uh, for joining us as well. Uh, this has been a Radio Show Limited production. And, oh, there's no time to explain. that. Oh, no, no. The llama is looking at a kangaroo. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.